sit back and relax. It is time to listen to the old-time radio daytime shows. We hope you enjoy the program. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Destination Dead End, another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice, danger's my stock and trade. If your life's going into a tailspin and the odds are against you, call on me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, I cannot pay big fee for your services. That would mean I would have to go to my son for the money. That I would never do. But no matter what my son has done, he is still my own flesh and blood, and I must help him. He is in trouble. I know it. I feel it. Because I have to go... day, would you come and talk to me tonight? Maybe I can still save him. And it's signed Sophie Pebbleman, 93 River Street. Pebbleman? Pebbleman? Do you know him, George? Yeah. Yeah, he's that glamorized private eye who's been training information with the biggest racketeers in town. Talking his little head off or keeping quiet for a price. Oh, golly. George, I don't think we belong in this picture with Dickie Boy. I wasn't thinking of him, Brooksy. Well, then think of yourself. Logic tells me you're right, Angel. But shouldn't somebody be thinking of a mother who can sense that her son is playing with dynamite? I can tell you everything later, Mr. Valentine. But right now you must go to Richard. Hey, wait now. I know something is going to happen to him tonight. Look, uh, have a heart, Mrs. Pebbleman. I haven't even had a chance to think about it. Oh, I was praying for you to get here. It was like a knife turning around in my heart to hear my son on the phone. Well, try to calm down. Just what did he say? He told me he was having dinner at the Richelieu restaurant. Well, the worst that could happen to him there would be drowning in a finger bowl. He said he ordered everything the best and had to talk to me this last time. That wasn't all he said. No. One more thing that makes me sure he is in terrible danger, Miss Brooks. What's that? When Richard was a little boy, sometimes he would get into bad trouble and run away. It is not easy for young people to be good in this neighborhood. Go on, go on. When the trouble was real bad, he would say, Goodbye, Mom. See you day after tomorrow. Then I never knew when he would come back. And is that what he said tonight? Yes, Don't you see, he was trying to tell me he did not know when I would see him again. Just like when he was a boy. All right, Mrs. Pebbleman, you stay put. If it'll make you feel any better, we'll get over to the Richelieu and see what's bothering your son. (laughs) 
Knowing the spot you're on doesn't seem to interfere with your appetite, Pebbleman. <laughs> and the condemned man ate a hearty meal. Well, if you know that Downey's thugs are waiting outside to shoot you down, why don't you call the police? Because it would be tomorrow night and the night after that. And even I can't afford feckless feasts like this every night. Your mother isn't going to take this as nonchalantly as you are. She'll get over it. Hey, look. Yeah? Did you ever get in a jam like this? You just don't buy Charvet ties, suits from Bond Street, and peel shoes just being another private dick who turns in a report and forgets it. All right, so you don't. Well, the boy from River Street in the slums, he wanted these things. In my job, I picked up a lot of useful information that nobody else could get. I traded it in like a broker. What information about Matt Downey's operations have you been selling? And to whom? Scalati. And Matt has just decided to put a stop to it. It's as simple as that. Yeah? Pevelman of River Street. Connoisseur, Epicurean par excellence. A private eye with a Ph.D. His mother slave to get him. It's been a long road just to wind up at a dead end. Hey, look, stop being dramatic, will you? I got to dream up a way of getting you out of here alive. For your mother's sake. Yeah. Hello, Mom. This is your boy, Richard. The inauguration is over, and I'm calling you from the White House. Very glib, very glib. Look, Valentine, before you knock yourself out on my behalf, I ought to tell you. Over there, that's Downey, my nemesis himself. The punk with him is a trigger-happy character named Jinx. They're not going to knock you off in here. Oh, nothing as crude as that. I get it out on a public thoroughfare by some hired gunsels. While they sit the alibi out where everybody can see them. I'll be back in a few minutes. You gonna pass a miracle? Maybe. See you in a while. quick. Hey, please, this is the chef at the Richelieu restaurant on Carlton. Fire in the kitchen, everything. She is burning down early, right there, quick, quick. Oh, now if my phony French accent didn't get in the way, something ought to happen. Hey, Tommy. Those your hoods draped all over the street outside? What? Who asked you over? Me. Wanted me to get rid of them, Matt. Take that toothpick out of your mouth, Jinx. All right, friends, you're dealing. Go ahead. You heard the question. I don't know what you're peddling, but I don't want any. Don't play innocent, Tommy. You're not dressed for it. Be that comic Amstray. Disappear. And give my love to Pebbleman. Hey, there must be a fire out yeah, there. Is... Hey, now, take it easy, everybody. There's just a small fire back in the kitchen. What are you trying to pull, funny boy? I'll let you know when you wake up, dude. And you're never going to... Over here, George. Hang on, Buxy. Come on, Pebbleman. We're getting out of here. Valentine, 
What's going to be next with you, huh? From day to day, the suspense kills me. Now you're turning in phony fire alarms. Look, Lieutenant, how about Pevelman? You say you want me to keep him stashed away, huh? Well, what do I charge him with, pal? And how do I keep somebody from bailing him out? Pevelman will be happy to be charged with anything just to keep Downey off his tail. Well, you could have found him jaywalking or talking sassy to an officer or uh, putting mustaches on paintings in the museum. Oh, don't be so helpful, Miss Brooks. And to keep him from being bailed out by certain interested parties, you can shun him around from one precinct to another. Just don't let him get slammed out. Why should I protect him? He never cooperates with us. He won't tell us a thing. If Downey and his hoodlums are gunning for him, we ought to know why. Riley, you'd like to get something on Downey, wouldn't you? <laughs> what do you think? All right, then. It's a bargain. Before the night's over, I expect I'll be seeing a lot of Mr. Downey. Look, Valentine, let's stop the potsy. We can make a deal. Okay, name it, Downey. I'll even listen. Forget you're working for Pebbleman, and I'll forget I owe you something for that fancy shuffle at the Richelieu. I ain't forgetting it. Close your head, Jinx. Yeah. I'll make it interesting. A wallet full of shin plasters with big numbers on them. I got an old lady with a strong sense of justice paying me off. It wouldn't be ethical to shack up with you. Where do you want to bother with Pebbleman? You know he's a rat. Now, where is he? In Durance Vile. You gonna let him talk to you that way, Matt? Oh, jail to you, Jinx. Jail, your old alma mater. Okay, Valentine. We'll find a way to bail that double-crosser out. It's gonna take you some time. I made a little game out of it. It's called Pebbleman, Pebbleman. Who's got Pebbleman? I've got time. You better have plenty. Our friend can plead guilty to a charge that'll keep him in the can until I can find out what'll put you where he is. Okay. Now, let's stop being cute. Look. Get Pebbleman out in the open. That's okay for sound, but you're repeating yourself. You got no choice, Valentine. You see, I got the old lady where nobody can get to her. What's that? Yeah. It's either the son or the mother. Now make up your mind. Turn to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word of advice from a fellow motorist. One of the worst enemies anyone's car can have is interior engine corrosion. And probably no one is more aware of this fact than a man who looks after a railroad's diesel engines. The man I have in mind is Mr. George L. Higgs, diesel locomotive supervisor for the Spokane-Portland-Seattle Railroad. Having had excellent results with RPM Delo oil in locomotives for years, it was natural for Mr. Higgs to use compounded RPM motor oil in his automobile and in his pleasure boat. Among other advantages of RPM motor oil, Mr. Higgs points out, quote, it's one oil that prevents corrosion and increases bearing life, unquote. Well, you don't have to run a railroad to find out that RPM motor oil gives your car protection you trust. All you have to do is get a crankcase drain and a refill with RPM. For proof of how this premium motor oil keeps your engine clean, just watch how dirt drains out with the oil after a service period. All the time RPM is lubricating your engine, it's keeping internal contaminants dispersed in the oil, where they'll drain out when the oil is changed. 
So for longer car life, get RPM motor oil tomorrow at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we take better care of your car. strong-willed but humble woman tells you she fears her son is in trouble, and brother, she isn't wrong. A private detective who thinks ethics is just another word in the dictionary. He's been peddling combustible information to two rival racketeers, and one of them, Matt Downey, is about to give him a permanent wave. If your glandular makeup is anything like George Valentine's, you play along. And down he comes up with this fine-fingered gimmick. Yeah, it's either the son or the mother, Valentine. Now make up your mind. I'll play ball. How can I be sure I can trust you? You can't. You'll just have to coast on the deal. You like to make things tough, don't you? You know how much I trust you, Downey? As far as I can throw that baby grand with both hands tied behind my back. Jinx! Yeah, Matt? Call Frankie out of the lake. Tell him to put Mrs. Pebbleman on the phone. You know what'll happen if you cross me. Oh, I'll be careful, all right. I'm not one of those morons who thinks it's a trend to be brave. Now you're being Mikey, smart. This is Jinx. Matt wants you to I'll even let you go out door. and pick her up yourself. She'll be in a car with Frankie right near my place. Hold it a minute. There she is. Go ahead, Valentine. You all right, Mrs. Pebbleman? Mr. Valentine. Uh-huh. Where is Richard? How is he? He's safe. Now, listen, I'm coming right out there to get you. You? Coming here? That's right. I... I will be waiting, Mr. Valentine. See you day after tomorrow. Day after... Yeah, right away. Now, don't worry about a thing. Goodbye. All right, Valentine. I'm taking your word that you'll contact your connections and let Pebbleman be sprung. Let's put it this way. My word is as good as yours. <laughs> Take Route 22, about a mile past that big drive-in theater. Frank, you'll be waiting at the bottom of the hill. Blow your horn twice so he'll know it's you. Yeah, just like in the movies. Be seen. Come on, Matt, what's the offbeat? Very simple. Valentine isn't coming back. You saw how troublesome he can be. But I thought you were... We're holding on to Mrs. Pebbleman. As long as I have her, I can smoke Sonny Boy out any time. <laughs> There's a spot, Brooksy. Did you manage Pebbleman's car all right? Oh, yeah. But golly, George, I could hardly follow you in this fog. Good girl. You got anything straight? Yeah, I think so. Okay, now here we go. Here's the signal. Yeah. Hey, look, that fog lights just went on down there. Yeah, and that light over there. Downey's house. Now, give me five minutes to cut across and get there. Then start up Pebbleman's car. Let it roll down the hill. The closer to those fog lights she piles up, the better. Okay, George. I'll be waiting here in our car with the motor running. Good luck, honey. Mm-hmm. 
going on out? All right, Jinx. Silent. Hands behind your back. I don't want to use this gun. There's enough noise out here. Oh, Mr. Valentine, they were waiting there for you, all those men. They were going to kill you. Yeah, I know. Come on, get your things, Mrs. Pebbleman. we got to get moving. I tried to warn you on the phone. You did. I told Matt not to get fancy. Too bad he didn't listen, Jinx. Because i got to put you out of circulation. <laughs> all right, come on, Mrs. Pebbleman. You're going to sit this out in Brooksy's apartment while I talk it over with Lieutenant Riley. <laughs> What do you mean, Pebbleman is out? You heard me. He wanted out. So he put up his own bail. But wait a minute. I don't get it, Lieutenant. The gears don't mesh. He knows what Downey has scheduled for him. Well, maybe he's tired of breathing. Anyway, all I had against him was hitching a ride on a fire truck. Holy... Something must have conked out. Why did he change his mind? Look, pal, I did a little checking. I know Pebbleman's racket, see? He's been acting as an information pipeline for every mob in this town. Now, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? Well, what would you use for proof? Have you got any even now? And right at this moment, he's a walking target. Because he sold out Downey so Scarlatti can move into the River Flats District first with the numbers right. I don't want to repeat myself, Riley, but where's the proof? Well, well, give me time. But I'll tell you this much. If we get our hands on Pebbleman again, I'll find a rap that'll really stick. He's no better than Downey Skylotty or any of those other muckies. Okay, heels. okay, I won't argue about that. And Valentine, I uh, seem to remember you promised me something to nail Downey with. I got that, Lieutenant. I can't deliver it until morning. Morning? <laughs> well, that's only a couple of hours away. Yeah, you're right. But remember what S.C. almost did to Notre Dame in a couple of hours. expect to find Pebbleman at his house, do you? Frankly, no, Angel. Yeah? Hello? Hello? Say, who is this? He's there, all right. But that would be the first place Downey would look for him. Brooksy, I don't know what Pebbleman's up to, but if he wants to play it this way, I'll help grease the skids for him. Valentine, I'm tired. I don't feel like answering questions. Oh, what do you think we've been doing all night? Looking at stereoptican slides? Just what made you suddenly decide it was safe to walk the streets again, Mr. Pepperman? Let's say I just drew a couple of high cards since I saw you two last. Now, if you'll excuse me... You know, please. for one optimistic moment, I thought you heard about what happened to your mother and were willing to risk your neck to help her. Yeah, I heard about that over my usual grapevine. I was also told she wouldn't need my help with a smart operator like you working for her. Well, I don't see how all this makes you any better off. Oh, but it does, Miss Brooks. So you can just stop worrying about... Well, aren't you going to answer that? I suppose I'll have to. Richard. Oh, you're all right. Mrs. Pebbleman. shouldn't have come here. I told you not to take one step out of my apartment, Mrs. Pebbleman. It's not safe. I know, my dear, but that's... Now, look, look. Let's pick this meeting up some other time. I got a lot of things to do. Valentine, take care of my mother. Hey, wait a minute. Is that all you got to say, Buster? You know what she's had to go through because of you? Doesn't that mean anything to all you? All right, all right. I'm grateful to you, Valentine. I'll see that you get paid for your trouble. Well, why don't you try being grateful to your mother? Will you stop sermonizing? Go on, get out. 
Get it all figured. Now how I can deal with Donnie, but I got to do it by myself. Now leave me alone, Ollie. Richard. Emma. Of course, I'm glad that nothing has happened to you. But there's something else I must say. Now, look, don't you start preaching to me. Your father and I, we worked hard. Not so you could grow up and make a lot of money, but so that you would grow up and be a good man. Tonight I found out how you help people who break the law. Oh, please, Mom. You'll find out things that make it easy for them. I am glad I worked every day this last year instead of taking one penny from you. Your money is dirty, Richard. Dirty. Oh, this is great, great. I can't you. Buster, I know who you're expecting. Now listen. Open the door. Let him come in. But be natural. Now, wait a minute. Look, I'll be against the wall and back of the door. Leave the rest to me. And I have no compulsion about using this gun after what he did to your mother. Okay. Claire, you stay right where you are with Mrs. Pebbleman. Oh. Come in, Tommy. Thanks. I didn't think you'd be calling me. Put that gun away. What? Do you want to have a tail? Okay. I didn't break your wrist. Pick his gun up. Sir, pulled another fast one, eh, Pebbleman? Now, look, this was Valentine's idea. I had a proposition to make, but I, I couldn't talk back to him. He had a gun. So I see Go you. on, Downey. Go on, sit down. Now, Brooksy, get on the phone and call Riley. Tell him it's nearly morning. He'll know what I mean. Yes, George. How do you do, Mrs. Pebbleman? Please don't talk to me. George, there's something wrong. I don't get any connection at all. May as well give up, lady. We took care of that phone. What kind of a sucker do you think I am? Do you think I came over here alone? Oh, I suppose you got Jensen and his playmates cluttering out the doorway outside. You're so right. Well, funny boy, what's the next move? You can't call the police and you can't leave the house. And after a while, Jinx is going to get worried about me. Look, let, let's talk about my deal. Won't be any trouble at all to pin a kidnapping charge on you, Donnie. But on the other hand, I can see that my mother doesn't talk. Yeah? All you have to do is forget that you don't like me. Well, fair enough. Why not? I might even make it worth your while to come over to me from Scarlatti. You can start telling me a few things. Sure, sure. Yeah, sure, Tommy. Then everything will be all right again, see? And nobody's going to get hurt. Oh, you're one sweet boy, Buster. Richard, do not even talk to that man. Tonight I heard what he does. He takes nickels and dimes from poor people to play numbers. He wants to do that in our neighborhood where you were born to people you know. Richard! Look, Mom. I always had to look after myself. I can't stop now. I'd better go outside and talk to the boys, Donnie. Tell them we made a deal. Stay where you are, Buster. What are you going to do? Shoot me down in front of my mother? <laughs> oh, here, Valentine. Take this envelope, huh? Give it to her later. She'll need it. Why don't you give it to her yourself? After tonight, she won't have anything to do with me or mine. You know that. I'll be right back. Mr. Valentine, Richard has been gone so long. Yeah, too long. Maybe when the boys saw him, they didn't understand. Didn't give him a chance to explain. 
That'd be too bad. But we didn't hear anything. I'm going out there. George! Pepsi, I hate to ask you this, but do you think you can keep this gun on Johnny? I... Yeah, I think so. Good girl. And don't mind being a little nervous. That'll remind him he's only half a breath from King Come. Here, back it up the way you get plugged. Hey, your arm, you're breathing. Yeah, yeah, but look at that monkey sprawl out in the gutter. Okay. Now we'll just stay where we are. After those shots, the cops will be here any minute. No, they won't be in time. Jinx and another guy are in that hall across the street. I'm going after him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, don't be crazy. Then I'm going upstairs and get down. Come on. Double that foot. Shots to you. Swell. I had to get mom and your people off the spot. Now look, take it easy. Don't try to talk. We'll get you to a hospital soon now. <laughs> I made up for a lot, didn't I? That envelope. Take care of it. Huh? Yeah, yeah, sure, fella. I'll see that you take some money. Wasn't money. Gonna cook Donnie. That envelope. Lots of names. Places. Make a good story for the papers. I'm just gonna like reading. I, I wasn't a complete washout, was I? No, fella. Now what the kind of comeback you made. Good morning, Buxy. Well, what's this? Oh, just a heart-shaped box. You know what day it is, don't you? <laughs> I'll be real sharp and say it's Monday. Oh. Well, how do you like... Say, what are these things? Well, they're socks, darling. Argyles. I knitted them myself. Oh, you did? Well, although they don't seem to match, they really do once you get them on. Mm, yeah. Well, I thought you'd like something bright for a change. Maybe they're a little too bright. Oh, no, no, Angel. Maybe you did use 20 shades of red, but uh, at least you stuck to one color. Well? Oh, Brooksy, I was only kidding. With my moniker, how could I forget this was Valentine's Day? Yes, And of all people, I should respond with some wild and passionate gesture, and I'm going to do that. Do what? Well, no matter what anybody says, I'm going to wear these things. Tonight, I'd like to tell you about a friend of mine who has a brand new car. Can't blame him for wanting to demonstrate it to me, and I can't blame him either for getting embarrassed when his new car wouldn't take an ordinary hill in high gear. Look, pal, I said, what you better put in this here car is command performance. Command performance, he said? Oh, you mean Chevron Supreme gasoline. Well, that's exactly what I meant, so I told him. For Chevron Supreme puts command performance in any car, new or old. That's because special blending agents... In Chevron Supreme, command fast start, speedy pickup, and all the power your car needs to make it great on hills. What's more, no matter where you drive in the West, 
you can be sure of command performance with this premium quality gasoline. For it's climate tailored to each different altitude and temperature zone. So in mountains, at sea level, or in the desert, rely on Chevron Supreme to put command performance in your car. Ask for it at standard stations and at independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we take better care of your car. Next week at the same time, you'll find George Valentine not in his office, but far away on a tiny Hawaiian island, and Brooksy will be saying... George! George, the boat's gone. Somebody's taken it. Yeah, so I noticed. Well, well how do we get off this island? What do we do? Well, right now, I think we need a little protection. Well, how do you like that? What's the matter, George? Something else is going, Brooksy, out of my suitcase. You're gone? Yeah. Oh, fine. So this weird little drama calls for us being permanent guests in this tropical paradise. Unless we're very smart, Brooksy, or very lucky. Tonight's adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Brooksy. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by David Victor and Herbert Little Jr. and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Tony Barrett as Pebbleman, Jeanette Nolan as Mrs. Pebbleman, Joe Forte as Downey, and Jim Nusser is Jinx. The music is composed and presented by Eddie Dunstetter. Your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, here's a poem for you, friends, so listen. When the year is at the morn, resolutions fine are born. When the year is old and gray, resolutions, where are they? I have the answer here to a season full of cheer. Just resolve to start each day happy, carefree, blithe, and gay. And you know, folks, all it takes to start the day is grape nuts flakes. That's the answer, all right. Eat a good breakfast, do a better job. Because you need an adequate breakfast after a fast of 10 or 12 hours the night before. In fact, dietitian tells us that morning is the time we should get at least one quarter of our entire day's nourishment. Yes, breakfast is the stoke-up meal. And grape nuts flakes are certainly a swell-tasting stoke-up food. They're a whole-grain cereal crammed full of all-around whole-grain nourishment. So for 1944, let's all resolve to eat a good breakfast, do a better job. And that crisp, toasty brown grape nuts flakes... Help make it easy for you. Put new does in your washing machine. Finest does you've ever seen. Bigger news now when you sing. D-U-Z does everything. 
The new Daz brings you The Guiding Light, created by Erna Phillips. Come in, Bill. Maida, where in the world have you been all afternoon? I, I phoned you from Hollywood not more than half an hour ago. Oh? Well, I just got home myself. I hope you weren't worried about me. Well, no, I wasn't exactly worried, but... But what? Oh, nothing. Did you phone Bertha? Well, sure I phoned Bertha. I thought you'd planned on staying at Papa's, and Bert told me you left shortly after I did this morning. Yes, that's right. I did some shopping, had a bite of lunch, took in a movie, and here I am. <laughs> Has your housekeeper returned? No, I expect her back sometime this evening. Oh. Well, that's good. Uh, Ted and Chucky will be home this evening, too. Ted and Chucky? Mm-hmm. You mean Ted... Oh, wait a minute. He tried to reach you here. He couldn't get any answer. Called me at the office and asked me to see that you got the message. Now you feel better. I won't feel better until I see Chucky. Until I can touch him. Oh, Maida. You're completely out of patience with me, Bill, aren't no, you? No, but I'm completely out of patience with that imagination of yours. Honey, you could have knocked me over last evening when you asked Trudy if she'd mind if you stayed overnight. Well, I shouldn't have stayed. But I didn't want to come back here alone. I couldn't ask you to spend another night here with me. Bill, I didn't say anything to the folks, but... the night before last, I spent with the Brandons. What? Yes. Look, Maida, you, you'd better get yourself under control. I'll be all right just as soon as Chucky gets home. I'm sure I'll be all right. You know, it's strange. What? When I got out of the movie, I was debating with myself whether to have dinner out or whether to come home. Uh-huh. Before I knew it, I was in a cab on my way back here. I must have had some sort of a feeling that Ted and Chucky would be home tonight. Oh, there you go again. Maida, who do you think you are? A, a crystal gazer who claims to foretell the future? Honey, no one can do Bill, that. Bill, I know that, but I do believe there's something called intuition. Woman's intuition or... Or should I say mother's intuition? Well, it worked out this time, didn't it? But I hope you realize that you were only imagining things. Have it your way, Bill. Mita. Hmm? Did, uh... Did you and Trudy have an argument again last night? It wasn't an argument. No. Trudy had very little to say. I had a great deal to tell her. I only hope that half of what I said made an impression. Just what did you say to her? Trudy's had a false idea that I'm the reason she and Ross Bowling aren't married. I tried to point out to her that... Anybody home? Chucky. Come along, son. Oh, Chucky, darling. Oh, darling. A small boy stands in embarrassment at his mother's display of emotion. We'll learn more about this in a moment. For white, white washes, 
Without red hands, I've gone back to Does. Yes, for white, white washes, without red hands, the swing is back to Does. Does does everything in your wash and does right by your hands. I didn't think about my hands when I started experimenting with some of those no-rinse chemicals, but my hands couldn't take it. So now I'm back to Does. Does gives me white, white washes without red hands. Is a pair of red hands the price you're paying for doing your wash? Then use Does next wash day and inspect your wash carefully. Have you ever seen such dazzling whiteness, such thorough cleanliness, such brilliant colors? Have you ever seen all this with such wonderful treatment for your hands? Does can promise this because of the way Does is made. Only Does of all leading wash day products contains such great quantities of real soap, extra rich soap, combined with two modern detergents. Only does contains these quantities of rich, real soap balanced with two modern detergents. That's why does gets your clothes so wonderfully clean and white, while it gives extra safety for colors and almost toilet soap mildness for hands. That's truly why does does everything and does right by your hands. Get does today. You'll say it too. For white, white washes without red hands, I've gone back to does. Chucky. Oh, Chucky, you're home. Of course we're home. Hello there, Bill. This is the fire. Oh, Chucky, please say something, please. Good heavens, Mater, you're frightening the boy. Hello, Mother. Oh, darling. Darling, I'm so glad you're home. You're hurting me. I'm sorry, Chucky. Uh, have a nice trip, Ted. Very. We did enjoy ourselves, didn't we, young man? Yes, Dad. Come along, dear. Let's wash up, shall we? And then Mother will prepare something to eat. Oh, Chucky, I'll see that you have something extra special. I'm so happy that you're home. Camping was fun. I had a good time. I'm glad to hear that. Bill, you'll excuse us, won't you? Oh, of course, mate. I'll have to be running along shortly anyway. Uh, sit down for a few minutes, Bill. Come along, darling, and tell me everything you did. Well, we did lots of things. Dad taught me how to cook and everything. Uh, what uh, made you uh, decide to come home so soon, Ted? Uh, children reach a saturation point, you know. Mm -hmm. I felt Chucky had about all he could enjoy for one trip. I didn't want it to become tiresome for him. Thought he'd best to return while he was still enjoying himself. I see. How are things at the office? Oh, 100%. Good. I suppose you're wondering why I'm here this time of day. The thought had crossed my mind, yes. Well, I uh, tried to reach Mita all afternoon after you phoned. Well, it wasn't too important that you get in touch with her. Oh, I realize that. I mean from your viewpoint, but... Well, I was a little worried about her. Worried? Why, Bill? This is going to sound as stupid as the Dickens. It doesn't even exactly make sense to me, but nevertheless, it's true. I wouldn't want you to say anything to Maida. Go on. From the time you and Chucky left for your trip, Maida hasn't been herself, Ted. She certainly wasn't herself a few moments ago. When Chucky and I arrived, seldom, if ever, have I seen her display so much emotion. Chucky was actually embarrassed. So was I. Oh, look, Ted, she's a mother. This is the first time Chucky's been away from her. She was worried about him. Worried about him? For heaven's sake, old chap. That is a bit stupid. 
Doesn't she realize that I'm perfectly capable of looking after my son? The fact remains that she's had the jitters. I've never known my sister to be on the verge of such hysteria, such unreasonable hysteria. A few nights ago, around midnight, she phoned the house. And if ever I heard fear in anyone's voice, I heard it in hers. I don't have to tell you, Ted, that she's the sort of person who's never been afraid of anything. No, you don't have to tell me. Well, anyway, I hopped in a cab and came over here. You what? She asked me to. She'd had some sort of a nightmare about Chucky. Now, what you're saying is almost unbelievable. That's what I keep telling myself, but I, I have eyes and I have ears. It took me quite a while to calm her down to try to, to explain her dream to her. I was grabbing at straws, Ted. Anyway, it ended up in my staying here for the night. Last night, she stayed in Selby Flats. At your home? Mm-hmm. She asked Trudy if she could share a room with her. Now, does that sound like me to you? No, I must confess it does not. There's this about your sister, Bill. There's no accounting for a great many of her actions. I'm never quite sure in my own mind if they are planned or impulsive. Well, what do you mean by that? Surely you can't have forgotten that you asked me not to take the camping trip with Chucky. No, I haven't forgotten. You also made mention of the fact that Nater might be planning to leave me. Well, what has that to do with this absolute torture she's been going through while Chucky and you were gone? Perhaps everything. Perhaps nothing. I'm not prepared to say at this time. Now, wait a minute. You, You mean you think she's putting on an act? I don't know. But... You and I both agree that her actions are entirely out of keeping with what we know of Mater. I wouldn't begin to try to explain the workings of her mind. All right. All right. Before you jump to any conclusions, Ted, there's something you should know. The morning, after I spent the night here, Mater and I had a long talk about you and her and Chucky. Yes? She promised me and she promised herself that she wouldn't do anything impulsive. I think she's going to actually try to work out this marriage of yours. Is that what she told you? That's what she promised me. I tried to point out to her that for her sake, as well as for Chucky and yours, it was the only thing for her to do. I think perhaps she realizes, Bill, it's the only thing she can do under the circumstances. Well, what do you mean by that? Mater could leave me if she wanted to. I think she knows that she has no grounds for a divorce... And she realizes that she can't take the boy away from him. On the other hand, I also am aware of the fact that if she definitely made up her mind to do something impulsive, as you say, no one, nothing could stop her. Except Chucky. Possibly. Yeah. Well... Take what I've told you for what it's worth. I I mean, Maida's plan as she expressed it to me, but... There is one thing, Ted, I do want you to believe, and it hasn't a thing to do with logic or reasoning. Maida put in a terrible time while Chucky was away. She was like a person tortured, afraid that any time, any minute, she'd have some word that something had happened to Chucky. That's difficult to believe. I've never said anything before, Ted, but I'm going to say it now. Try to be a little gentle with her, will you? A little more understanding... I think if you gave her half a chance, everything might work out. Give her half a chance? 
Believe me, Bill, I'll give her every chance. Here's America's newest wash day promise from the one and only Does. White, white washes without red hands. Yes, Does gives you white, white washes without red hands. Are your hands suffering from using those no-rinse chemicals? Then see why women everywhere are going back to Does. Just accept this challenge. Change to Does next wash day. Then inspect your clothes carefully. Have you ever seen such dazzling whiteness? Such thorough cleanliness, such brilliant colors. Have you ever seen all this with such wonderful treatment for your hands? Does can promise this because of the way Does is made. Only Does of all leading wash day products contains such great quantities of real soap, extra rich soap, combined with two modern detergents. That's why Does gets your clothes so wonderfully clean and white while it gives extra safety for colors and almost toilet soap mildness to hands. Does, does everything. So for white, white washes without red hands, get does today. A nightmare repeated in the next dramatic episode of The Guiding Light with Joan Allison and Lyle Sudrow. Brought to you by the new does. Put new does in your washing machine. C-U-Z does everything. This is Clayton Collier wishing you good day and good dozing for Procter & Gamble, the makers of the new does. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is air. A-I-R. Really? You bet your life. The more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You'll Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Groucho! That's me, Groucho Marx. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. Fenneman, who's placed to try for it? Well, a bachelor and a spinster, Groucho, selected by our studio audience just before we went on the air. Land sakes. Uh, their names are Ida Easley and Jack Wayne, and here they come now. Wayne here, folks, and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. <laughs> and if you, you say the secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Uh, Ida Easley, huh? Ida Easley. Oh, well, that's an Easley name to remember. And, uh... <laughs> You're the spinster, eh? I am. Mm -hmm. Let me see you spin. <laughs> Where are you from, Ida? I'm from Taylorville, Illinois. Where? Taylorville, Illinois. Taylorville? Did you have a, a job, Ida? I'm a matron with the Douglas Aircraft Company. In
Ida, of course you realize that half of that swag belongs to Mr. Yeah, Wayne that's over what here. Huh? Me. I think he's more worried than I am, for well. I have a hold of it. Well, eventually he may be holding you and the fifty dollars, eh? Well, Jack, uh, I will tell. Well, what do you what do you do, Jack? Oh, I run a streetcar. Uh, where are you from, uh, Jack? In heart, born in heart of Boston. Why did you leave the uh, Bean Town? Oh, my feet got itchy. Now in Rome. You went to Rome, and how'd you like it there? <laughs> where do you run your trolley? On the track. <laughs> Caught me napping, eh? <laughs> I suppose that's one of the little jokes you streetcar men use to amuse each other back in the car barn. Is that it? That's an old joke. Yes, well, it may, it may interest you to know that while you're knocking each other out back in the car barn, the city's pulling up the tracks to make way for a bus line. <laughs> Jack, how come you're a bachelor? Is it because in your job you see too much of women? Oh, I see plenty of them. You do, huh? You could see a lot more of them if you'd step off your streetcar and watch them climb on. <laughs> I always get on last. I don't... <laughs> they think it's politeness, but it isn't really. <laughs> Jack, if you found the right woman, would you be interested in matrimony? Oh, I guess I would. If what I... would you consider the right woman? Or oh, a housekeeper, a good housekeeper, a good cook. And they go to a ball game with me once in a while. You don't need one girl. What you need is the YWCA, Jack. <laughs> How old are you, Ida, if that isn't too... Uh, oh, I think I'm point. about his age. <laughs> Frankly, you don't care how old he is, do you? Huh? <laughs> such a thing. You're his age anyway, no matter how old he is. No matter how old Are you a good cook, Ida? Well, I think I'm good. Do you like baseball? Oh, very much. Do you follow it uh, quite closely? Yes, I keep up the game. Well, I'm an average fan, too. What do you think of Sugar Ray Robinson's chances this year? You think he's going to break Ray Bruce's record? Oh, I think he stands a very good chance. <laughs> yes, but on the other hand, don't forget, he still has to beat Gussie Moran. I know, I understand. Well, you can't blame a girl for trying, I always say. As a matter of fact, I never said that before in my life. I don't know why I lie this way, eh? Would you would you get married tonight if the right man came along and uh, knocked you off your feet? Oh, I think I would. You would. Huh? Well, look out for Ding Dong Daddy, are you? <laughs> he can knock you off your feet and charge you eleven cents car fare at the same time. <laughs> well, you certainly make a nice couple. Just remember, none but the brave deserve the fare, Jack. Always remember that, eh? And you're just the one to collect it. Now we're going to play. You bet your life for two thousand dollars. But I want you to pay close attention to Fenneman over there. Friends, when you select a dealer to service your car, you owe it to yourself to visit a member of the DeSoto Plymouth Dealer Organization. This nationwide group, there are over 3,000 of them from coast to coast, believes in the old-fashioned idea of courtesy and the modern idea of finest equipment, best-trained men. As for the cars they handle, well, there just aren't any better than the big and brilliant DeSoto and the beautiful Plymouth. DeSoto is the car with smooth, sweeping lines that attract so much attention. You'll enjoy the experience of greater safety with DeSoto's powerful brakes that bring you to a smooth stop. No car in America has bigger brakes. DeSoto starts so quickly and powerfully and lets you drive without shifting. 
So drive a DeSoto before you decide on any car. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Look for those two great names linked together. DeSoto, Plymouth. All right, now let's see if you two will get a chance at the $2,000. Fenneman, explain the rules. All right. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. You see, our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's happening out here. All right, here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected birds, animals, and people as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? $10. $10. What animal do you associate with Jonah? A whale. The whale is right. Now, talk right up. <laughs> and you folks are on your way. You have $30. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 will you try? That's uh, 20 20 What animal do you associate with the Pied Piper? Oh, uh... Oh. Take a look at Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they followed her up the street. They... The Piper. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's rats. You, you, yes. you were on the right track. How much have they got now? They uh, now have $10, Groucho. Well, that, that's a shame. Ooh, down that's a shame. We're down right. to $10. Here's your third question. How much of the 10 will you try? $5. $5. Is that all right, Jack? Yes, what animal do you associate with Daniel in the Bible? Um, lion. lion. The lion is right. Huh? Well, they're climbing again. Now I have $15. <laughs> all right, you got $15, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 15 will you risk? Well, let's take ten. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. What animal do you associate with Lady Godiva? Oh, the uh, horse. That's right, a horse is correct. <laughs> and they wind up with a grand total of twenty-five dollars. Don't forget, you won how much? Twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five dollars. You won a hundred dollars. That's a hundred and twenty-five dollars. Thanks and good luck from the Desoto Plymouth Group. <laughs> Well, Groucho, our, our next couple has been in a waiting room off stage, so, of course, they don't know the secret word is air. True, true. Okay, fellas, you can bring them in now. We invited some lady barbers to the program tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Maybelle Taylor. Her partner is a married man, Mr. Thomas DeSilver. And here they are, folks. I'd like you to meet Groucho Marx. Welcome to You Bet Your Life, and if you say the secret word, you'll split $100 between you. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Uh, Maybelle Taylor, is that right? That's right. And, uh, Thomas DeSilva. You're a lady barber, Maybelle? That's right. Where, where are you from, Mabel? Montana. Montana? Where about? Culbertson, Montana. And, uh, Thomas DeSilva, you're, you're a married man, huh? That's right. Is that your only claim to distinction, Thomas? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what sort of work do you do, Tommy? Retired police captain. Oh. Long, I'm glad I found that out. How long have you been married? Sixteen years. You remember how you met your wife, huh? Yes, but it's a long story. Well, keep it down to 1,500 words, will you? <laughs> I have to be in Pittsburgh a week from next Wednesday. Okay, go ahead. How'd you meet your wife? We went down to Wildwood, New Jersey. Got a couple of bathing suits and took her down to Wildwood, New Jersey. Put a bathing suit on and then gave her the engagement ring. <laughs> You're a pretty shrewd cookie, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> so I have seen her in the bathing suit, then I started singing proposal to her. You sang a proposal? Oh, yeah. Well, how did you sing a proposal to her? Let me call you sweetheart and gave her the engagement ring. Would you mind singing a no, few... Uh... Sing it? Oh. Well, go ahead. 
Let me call you, sweetheart. I'm in love with you. Let me hear you whisper that you love me. She consented to marry you after that? Well, that's, that's the first time years. I ever sang a chorus in five keys. <laughs> now, Mabel, are you married? No, I'm not. You're not married, huh? Would you get married to a man who sang like that to you? Well, certainly. I never met a lady barber before. Aren't they pretty rare? Well, I'd say there's uh, possibly 15 of us in the city of Los Angeles. No, that's medium rare. Now, what made you decide? <laughs> what made you decide to become a barber? Or a tonsorial artist, is that the I uh, wanted to make money enough to see myself through nurses' training. And? I'm still barbering. <laughs> What's the difference between a lady barber and a man barber? Uh, there are several. There are several differences? There are several differences. Well, I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> you better clarify it, Mabel. There's a hermit in Idaho who may have forgotten. Well, we have a lighter touch, and uh, we don't talk an ear off of you. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Just shave it off, huh? <laughs> I suppose you have a scrapbook where you keep all your clippings, Mabel? Huh? <laughs> yes. Do any of your customers flirt with you, Mabel? The male customers? Uh, well, they're not really serious with me. Now, how do you handle these Romeos? Oh, I just kid them along. They like it. Well, how do you kid them? Do you tell them jokes? Yes, occasionally. Well, tell us a joke. Go ahead. Pretend, <laughs> pretend I'm sitting in your chair and you want me to forget how much all this is going to cost me. Now you go ahead and tell me a joke. Do you know the best way to save your hair? Yes, put it in a cigar box. That's an old joke. <laughs> do you know a way tell to... me another joke, huh? Do you know a way to avoid falling hair? Yes, just step nimbly to one side, huh? <laughs> even older than the other joke. Eh? <laughs> you know any more jokes, uh, Mabel? No, I believe not. <laughs> Go on, admit it. I'm too fast for you, eh, Mabel. Eh? Well, well grass, your uh, hair is getting a little bit thin. Yeah, well, uh, grass doesn't grow on a busy street, eh, Mabel. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say that grass doesn't grow on a cement highway either. <laughs> Mabel, I know just how your customers feel. <laughs> My head is bloody but unbowed. Well, all right, now we're going to play You Bet Your Life, eh? Now, uh, we'll see how you two uh, make out in the battle for the $2,000. You got to work together as a team and run your $20 into more than our other couples. I can't tell you how much the other couples won, but Fenneman's going to remind our listeners. The Bachelor and the Spinster won $25. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected nicknames of famous cities as your category. Here's your first question. How much of the 20 will you try? Tommy, wake yeah. up. Ten dollars. You're going to ignore Mabel, huh? <laughs> what city is known as the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That's where you... 
They're on their way, Groucho. They have $30. $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 will you try? No, Talk right up. Make it 20. All right. What city is known as the biggest little city in the world? Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada is right. All your folks are really finding now. You have $50. Here's the third question. Now, how much will you bet? 50. 50. What city is known as the Mile High City? Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. And they find the $100. You've climbed as high as Denver, Colorado. Now, here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 100 will you try? Make it all. The last question. Yes, here's the last question. Let it go. Let it go. You're going to shoot the works, huh? What city is known as the Smoky City? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh is right. Good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Thank you very much. Now, now we're going to soon know who gets the chance at the big question. Worth $2,000 tonight. Because at this point, the people who were just up here, the lady barber and the married man, are leading with $200. And the secret word is still air. Uh-huh. Okay, fellas, you can bring in our next contestants. We invited to the show tonight some professional golfers and some singing teachers. And just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Lucia Liveret. And Mr. Paul Runyon. And here they come. Folks, I'd like you to meet Dr. Martin. Welcome to You Bet Your Life, folks. And if you say the DeSoto Plymouth secret word, you'll divide $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Lucia Liberette, huh? You're a singing teacher. Sounds like a pretty good record, uh, Lucia. Where are you from? Sing Sing? <laughs> I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, huh? Yes, you sir. sing the St. Louis blues? <laughs> well, no, not quite. Paul Runyon, it's nice to see you again. I'm sure everyone is familiar with your name. What did you say your name was? <laughs> Paul Runyon. Paul Runyon, huh? See there, even you're familiar with it, huh? <laughs> well, let's see. You won the Davis Cup, the Whiteman Cup, and the men's singles at Forest Hills, didn't you? Uh... <laughs> you may have a good memory, but those are tennis terms. Oh, wrong racket. What are some of your titles, huh? <laughs> What are some of your titles, Paul? I was fortunate enough to win the uh, National Professional Golfers Championship PGA. in 1934 and 1938. That's pretty good for a little fellow like that, huh? <laughs> All famous golfers have nicknames, there, Paul. What's yours? Little Poison. Little Poison, huh? They call me Big Slamiel, huh? <laughs> why, why do they call you Little Poison, uh, Paul? Well, perhaps it's because I have been the thorn in the side of some heavier adversaries. Very well put, Paul. <laughs> and uh, Lucia, you, uh, what kind of singing do you teach? Opera and classical and semi-classic. You mean they have to study to scream like that? Huh? <laughs> Tell me, Rigoletto, can you teach anyone to sing? I will say yes. Because I've never found anyone yet who could not learn if he had the correct technical work. You should have been out here about ten minutes ago. <laughs> You'd be licking your wounds now, Lucia. <laughs> All right, how would you teach me, Lucia? Boom, 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 boom. That's Lucia. Isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Well, to begin with, uh, correct breathing. Boom, 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 boom. Yes, uh, inhaling, inhaling. Uh, deeply, relaxation, so the air will keep coming. Right in here, boy. 
There you are. You pick that out, Lucia, and be sure Paul gets 50 of it, huh? Well, Cadenza, are all singers alike, or is there a difference between them? Oh, certainly. What kind of voices do singers have? Well, of course, to begin with, our first classification is there are women's voices and men's voices. Well, uh, oh, well I didn't know that. I must tell this to this uh, hymen. <laughs> Suppose I wanted to get up a lady quartet. Could I find one who sings bass? No. The contralto is as low as a lady goes. You haven't been out of... <laughs> Lucia, obviously, we haven't been out with the same kind of lady. <laughs> now, Paul, let's talk about golf. How long do you have to be a pro before you can become an amateur? Oh, no, my mistake. That's tennis. I was thinking of... What is your favorite club? The Annandale Golf Club of Pasadena. What's your best score for 18 holes? On a regulation 18-hole championship course, 61 at the Forestfield Field Club in Bloomfield, New Jersey. How about, uh, what does the average golfer go around in? I think 95 to 100. How about the girls? Don't some of the girls do better than that? Oh, a good many of the girls go around in a great deal less. <laughs> what time is your club open up in the morning? <laughs> I remember the first time I played golf, I went around in 75. I didn't play at all in 76. I was busy at Valley Ford. <laughs> How can I improve my score? I shoot around 94. That's what cheating. I think I'd advise you to take a few lessons from a competent instructor, do I've a taken, little practicing I've and a little lessons. playing. I've taken lessons. It's hopeless. <laughs> well... How could I learn to win without playing well? <laughs> you might, uh, you might resort to a little pencil pushing, or you might have a hole in your pocket, or you might have a handy toe in the rough, or you might use a hand mashie more frequently. How is it you know so much about those things? <laughs> Tell me about that pencil pushing again, huh? First of all, you have to forget to count over five. On any hole? Any hole. What about the uh, 540 at Hillcrest? Well, I think you could still forget to count over five on that. I do, but you know where I am? I'm in the first sand trap leading the tee. <laughs> <laughs> I met 11 Arabs the last time I played. You must have had a number of exciting moments as a professional golfer. Can you tell us about one of them, Paul? Well, as a tournament player, I've had many exciting experiences. Perhaps the most exciting is during the playing of the international four-ball matches in Miami, Florida, I was partnered by Horton Smith in this best ball event, and on arriving at the fourth tee, I dropped a high five-iron shot right on the top of a head of a gentleman sitting on a camp stool behind the green. He had just reached up to take his hat off to polish his head with his handkerchief when the ball lit on the top of his head and he dropped off of his seat like he'd been shot with a Winchester rifle. 
But on the next year, Horton and I incidentally won the first international four ball championship and we were paired again as partners. The next year, arriving at the ninth green with two or three thousand people down the left side of the fairway, hit Smith hit a booming hook down the left side. Down goes a man. Who is it? Our friend of the camp. <laughs> and the, the publicity on the international four ball matches the next year says that Dr. Johnson is in Miami to watch his perennial favorites, Runyon and Smith, in the international four ball matches, but he'll gallery in an armored suit. <laughs> Well, it must be very handy to have a walking bullseye on the golf course. Eh? Now, Lucia, let's get back to singing again. Do you have any particular exercises you give your singing pupils? Well, yes, there are several kinds of exercises, all to teach them freedom of breathing, and as I said, the free flow of air up into the resonance chambers, and then to make them relax and be happy about what they're doing, we give them a laughing exercise. They... Um, start in, they enjoy it, they laugh all the way from middle C up to high C. I once laughed from Glendale to Burbank. But... <laughs> what about demonstrating this exercise, Lucia? Eh? We might take something a little lower, maybe. We'll take than, something uh, a little lower. Me, for example. Huh? <laughs> you can't get any lower than that. Let's go, huh? I see. Say hello, Lucia. Huh? All right. The deep breath in the diaphragm, then drop the jaw open for the air to go up, and then... Uh-huh. <laughs> well, the three of us could be very happy, Paul. We could all sing together. Mashies in the cold, cold ground. <laughs> well, now you're going to play your bet your life. You beat the other two couples, and you'll get a chance at the $2,000 question. That's the Soda Plymouth question. Now, I can't tell you how much the other couples won. But Phenom is offstage to remind our listeners. The Lady Barber and the Married Man are ahead with $200. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected women athletes as your category. Now, here's your first question. How much will you bet? $10? $10. $10. In what sport is Gussie Moran famous? Tennis. Tennis is right. Huh? And on the way, they have $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of your $30 will you bet on your second question? Twenty? $20. In what sport is Florence Chadwick famous? It's a tough one. Take a Tennis? Stand. No, I'm sorry. It's swimming. She broke Gertrude Edley's record for the channel. They now have $10. They now have $10, he said in a low, funereal voice, huh? <laughs> eh? Here's your third question. <laughs> How much of the ten are you going to go for? Nine. Nine. Well, you're going to hang on the edge, eh, Paul? In what sport is Patty Berg famous? Golf. Golf is right, huh? Well, we're on the way again. They now have $19. All right, you got here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 19? The works. You're going to shoot the works. All right. And what sport is Barbara Ann Scott famous? Ice skating. Ice skating is correct. <laughs> and they wind up with a grand total of $38. And that means the lady barber and the married man with $200 get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question. <laughs> The best trained men, the best materials, and the best equipment. 
Those are the important things every DeSoto Plymouth dealer offers you car owners. And that's why you should take your car for service to a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. You see, DeSoto Plymouth dealers have men trained in the latest factory methods. This means that the mechanics who work on your car are experts. And in every DeSoto Plymouth dealer's shop, you'll find special tools and costly equipment. In addition, right on hand, they have a large supply of factory-engineered and inspected Mopar parts. Yes, you'll like the way business is done at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's. Find this out for yourself and do it real soon. The very next time your car needs service, drive in where you see the sign of a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. And here's the Lady Barbara and the married man all set for the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question. Good luck to you. Here we go. Uh, for $2,000, I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. So think carefully and please no help from the audience. Here it is. The longest battle of our Civil War was the Seven Days Battle. What city was the objective of this great struggle? Richmond is right. That's right. You win two thousand dollars. You had the right answer, so you win two thousand dollars. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with all that money? Help her brother-in-law. You're gonna help your brother-in-law. Why? Ill. Oh, he's ill. Well, that's a fine way to spend it. And you, Mabel? I'm going to give some to the cancer fund. Some to the cancer fund. Well, those are worthy objectives. Huh? Let's see, you won $2,000 plus uh, $100 in the... How much did they 200, win the quiz? 200 in the quiz. 200 in the quiz and $2,000 cash and the secret word? I don't think this couple said that. Well, you won $2,200, $2,200. Congratulations and thanks to both of you from the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $1,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks. Just be sure to see your DeSoto... Folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. Walkers wise, use their eyes. You Bet Your Life is transcribed from Hollywood, produced by John Goodell, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith, music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.
Waffle House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House, the coffee that's always good. To the last drop. Since the beginning of time, songs have played a vital part in the history of our civilization. There are songs that nerve a nation's heart, songs half sung yet all divine. There are old songs and new songs, gay songs and blue songs. And then there's the song that bounces innocently about the breakfast room of a certain white frame house on Maple Street in the unsuspecting city of Springfield. That's a mysterious type song, and it can lead to all sorts of things, like this. I am the monarch of the sea, the ruler of the Queen's Navy, whose praise... Good morning, Mother. Oh, good morning, dear. Do you want me to set the table or anything? No, everything's all taken care of. I'll have your eggs ready in a minute. And we are his sisters and his cousins and his aunts, and his sisters and his cousins and his aunts. Mother. Yes, dear. Have you ever noticed Stanley Lawson's eyes? No, but I presume he has them. (laughs) They're blue. Oh, dear, I forgot all about the blue thread I was supposed to buy for Elizabeth Smith. Mother! She'll be furious. Mother, how can you think of thread? That's just the point, dear. I didn't. Morning, Mommy. Good morning, Angel. You'd better hurry up or you'll be late for school. Well, I couldn't help it, Mommy. Bud would let me in the bathroom. Drink your orange juice and stop blaming everything on your brother. But he wouldn't. You know why? I think he's shaving. (laughs) Never mind, Kathy. He said he might even grow a mustache. He did? Betty, will you stop making those ridiculous jokes and eat your breakfast? What jokes? Imagine Bud with a mustache. I didn't say anything about Bud. Oh, you did too. You said he was going to grow a mustache. I said Stanley Lawson might. Oh, him. The bird watcher. There's nothing wrong with being a bird watcher, is there, Mother? Betty, if I were you, I'd spend a little more of my time thinking about, well, something other than Stanley Lawson. Mother, you just don't understand. You and Father have been married so long, you simply aren't, well, romantic. Aren't we? Well, maybe you are, but Father certainly isn't. At his moments. <laughs> Mother, how can you say that? Last night I asked him to look at the moon, and do you know what he said? I can't imagine. He said he saw it last year. <laughs> well, if he said so, he probably did. I think Daddy's very romantic. Doesn't he kiss Mommy every morning? Never mind, Angel. Well, doesn't he? Some kiss. 
I've seen goldfish who could... Betty, <laughs> But, Mother, if you think that's being romantic... Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Hi, Father. What's the big deal for breakfast today? Hi, honey. <laughs> hmm. Jim. What's the matter? Come here. What? Now, look, Margaret... Margaret, I... Margaret, please. There. See? Honey, what's the matter with you? Why, nothing. Look what you've done. You've got lipstick all over me. Some romance. What are you talking about? Oh, it isn't important, dear. Betty told Mommy that she didn't... Kathy, you have to eat your cereal. But I have to tell Daddy... Eat your cereal, Angel. That's much more important. Gee whiz. Margaret, there isn't anything going on here that might interest me, is there? Oh, I don't imagine... Well, yes. Maybe there is. Betty said that she didn't... Shall I get your coffee, Father? Betty, sit down and let me hear what Kathy has to say. Yes, Father. Go ahead, kitten. Well, Betty said... Kathy doesn't have anything to say, do you, dear? Don't I? <laughs> no, dear. Daddy. Yes, Kathy? I don't have anything to say. <laughs> well, at least that's a novelty. Jim. Yes? Listen. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Well? <laughs> Doesn't that mean anything to you? Doesn't what mean anything to me? That song. Honey, you've probably been working too hard. Why don't you go back to bed and let everything... Jim. I'll get it. Margaret, if you don't do something about the way that boy comes down the stairs... One thing at a time, dear. Listen. Yes. La, 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 la. You already sang that. La, 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 la. Honey. Doesn't that make you think of... Anything? Yes, but I'd rather not discuss it. <laughs> Jim, I'm very disappointed in you. I thought certainly... Mom, it's for you. Thank you, dear. We'll talk about the song when I get back. That'll be fine, honey. Betty, what's this all about? I don't know, Father. She does, too. She told Mom. I don't know what the song is. And that's what Father meant, isn't it? I don't know what anything is. Why should la-la-la mean anything to me? I think Mother's trying to bring back something. Well, it isn't vaudeville, I can tell you that. <laughs> Would it help any if you knew the words? It might. What are they? La-la-la. <laughs> Kathy. I guess not, huh? It was, it was something about a sailor, I think. My body lies over the ocean? Look, if you can't do any better than that... But that's about a sailor. Oh, Betty, you know more about songs than I do. What could that one possibly... Bud. Bud. Morning, everybody. Bud, we're having a very serious discussion about a matter of great importance. Attaboy. Say, Dad... Bud, will you please... But I have to ask you something. Notice anything different? You're wearing one of my ties. I mean something else different. Uh, No. You don't see anything, huh? It was about a captain in the Navy or something. Well, that's a big help. 
How about if I hold my chin up like this? Bud, please. I heard Mommy singing the song last night, and it wasn't either about a sailor. All I know is that it has something to do with being romantic. Not even with a light on it? Bud, we're talking about a song. Oh, what song? We don't know. Then how can you talk about it? <laughs> it's not about a sailor. It's about a man who has dozens of cousins. Anybody we know? Bud. Yes, Dad? Would you rather drink your orange juice or wear it? I'll drink it. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Now, what about the cousins, Kathy? The man had them. I think she's right, Father. Cousins and sisters and aunts. Something like that. Well, what could that... Oh, my gosh. Cousin Louise. What? That's what your mother was trying to remind me. I promised to buy a punch bowl for Cousin Louise's wedding. You mean that's in the song? No, but all that stuff about cousins and aunts, it's a good thing I remember. Dad, don't you see anything on my chin, honestly? Orange juice? Wipe it off. <laughs> Holy cow. Fifteen years old and he still can't steer food into his mouth. He has to bounce it in. I'm awfully sorry. That was Elizabeth Smith, and I had to explain about the blue thread. What blue thread? The spool I forgot to buy. Uh, yes. Margaret. Yes, dear? About that song. I finally got it. I knew you would. It was a tough fight, but I made it. I knew you wouldn't forget. Not my husband. And what's more, I'm going to take care of it the second I get downtown. You are? Naturally. What's the good of remembering if you don't do something about it? Well, I guess now we know who's romantic and who isn't. May I have the cream and sugar, please? <laughs> there you are, Dad. Thank you. Betty? What? What's romantic about a punch bowl? What they put in it. Oh! Margaret! Honey, I'm home! Hi, Hi Daddy. Daddy! We're in the dining room, dear. I'll be right in. Doggone heaviest punch bowl I've ever seen. I had a letter from your mother this morning, dear, and she's... Jim, what on earth is that? Honey, the next time you want me to buy a wedding present, will you please pick something a little easier to carry? Did you get it, Father? Naturally, I got it. I want to see it. Uh, move some of those dishes over, bud, like a good fellow. Okay, Dad. Jim, I don't know what you're talking about. The present for Louise. You told me to get it, didn't you? I know. I went back to Gorman's and they'd sold the only one they had. Jim. Wait till I get the paper off this thing and you'll see a punch bowl that's really a punch bowl. Jim, if you'll only... Had to go clear to Plainville to get it, too. Took me all afternoon. There. Oh, Father, it's gorgeous. It's sure big. When did they put the stuff in it? Well, Margaret. Jim, I've been trying to tell you, I bought the one at Gorman's. Well, the man said that. You did. Well, I knew you'd forget, and, darling, it doesn't make any difference. But this morning, you told me, what are we going to do with two punch bowls? That isn't important. Nothing is, except that you remembered what you did this morning. Creepers. Honey, before it goes any further... You didn't forget to take care of that, did you? I... <laughs> of course I took care of it. <laughs> 
Betty said you weren't romantic. (laughs) We showed her. (laughs) Didn't we? But, Daddy, if you... Ow! What's the matter, kitten? Betty kicked me. Pardon me, my foot slipped. Oh, oh dear, I think the string beans are burning. Put the punch bowl in the den, Jim. Uh, Maybe we can take it back tomorrow. Okay, honey. Father, this is awful. You know, there's only one thing I don't understand. What's everybody talking about? (laughs) Bud, it's a long, sad story. But if La 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 wasn't about the punch bowl, what was it about? You know, kitten, I was just wondering the same thing myself. Situation normal, all fouled up. (laughs) That's the Andersons for you. And once again, father's in the middle, wondering what it's all about. But ladies, there are some things about which the head of the house knows all there is to know. For example, your husband is the authority on truly fine coffee. In fact, he's the world's greatest coffee expert. Now, because more families buy our Maxwell House coffee than any other brand, we're often called experts, too. But when you brew the coffee and pour a fragrant cupful for your husband, why, he's the only expert you care about. And tomorrow, if you'll fill his cup with the richly satisfying, full-bodied flavor of our Maxwell House coffee, he's sure to smile and say, That's really good coffee. In fact, we're so certain he'll say that, we'll return your money if he doesn't. You see, we're positive your man will prefer that heartwarming, good-to-the-last-drop flavor. It's a flavor that belongs to Maxwell House alone, because only Maxwell House has the recipe, a very special recipe that demands certain choice coffees blended just so. No coffee tastes like Maxwell House, because no coffee is made like Maxwell House. Tomorrow, then, serve your husband our Maxwell House. If he doesn't say, best coffee ever, why, just send us the can and unused portion, and we'll refund your money. Our address is right on every familiar blue tin. Yes, let that coffee expert you married enjoy the world's most famous coffee flavor. Make his coffee Maxwell House. Always good to the last drop. The dinner hour has passed in the white frame house on Maple Street, and a delicate situation has developed. There's an air of intrigue and excitement as spies flip merrily. Well, it really isn't nice to call them spies, I suppose. When they're on our side, they're always known as counter-espionage agents. But spies or agents or whatever you choose, the Anderson living room is crawling with them. Like this. Father. Did you find out anything else? Well, I found out a few things. Daddy, do I get to go in next? Uh, We'll see, kitten. Betty. Why don't we just go in and ask her? That's the easiest way. Oh, Bud. Well, isn't it? You know, Bud might have something. But, Father, I practically solved the whole thing. Well, what is it? Don't just stand there. Mother told me that it's a date, and you're going to take her somewhere. Where? I don't know. When? Well, she didn't tell me that. And why? Father, I've only been in there twice. And you've got practically the whole thing. 
We just need a few little details. Did she tell you what La 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 was? We found that out, Kathy. It's that Gilbert and Sullivan thing. Why don't we just go in... Well, just a second, please. Betty, did she say what kind of a date it was? A birthday? An anniversary? She just said that it was an important date. Maybe it's the 4th of July. Kathy, that's a date. Why don't we just go in... Bud, will you please stop that? (laughs) You said maybe I had something. If you have, I hope it isn't catching. (laughs) Now what did I do? Betty, we might as well face it. We're getting nowhere. But, Father, if you could have seen how happy she looked. I know, sweetheart, but... Just knowing that you remembered has made her the happiest woman in Springfield. You can't take that away from her. Betty, this is a practical world, and your mother is a practical woman. We'll all just have to face it. I don't remember. How about May 28th? What about it? That's a date. (laughs) Why don't you try dromedary? That's a date, too. Dairy. <laughs> Dad. We've thought of everything we could. We've tried everything we could. Dad. I'll just lay all of my cards on the table and explain the whole thing. Dad. I'll just go in and tell her. <laughs> right now. Dad. What is it, bud? Why don't we just go in... Oh. <laughs> Father, maybe if you wait... I'm going in and get it over with. Jumping creepers. Daddy, I know a lot more dates. I think we ought Margaret's to just Margaret's a reasonable in. woman. She'll understand. Men aren't supposed to remember things like whatever I didn't. Jim? Oh, still in the den, honey? I'm just getting a few things straightened out. Are you and the children having a good time? Well, we're... Uh, uh, Margaret. Yes, dear? Look, honey, I don't want you to get upset. Upset? Why, Jim, nothing can upset me tonight. Uh, honey... To think that you remembered after all these years. But... That's what I want to tell you. You see... I told all the girls at our bridge luncheon this afternoon, and you've never seen such a bunch of envious females. You told them? They didn't believe me at first, but that was because they didn't want to believe me. Oh, will you look at what that boy did to these socks? Margaret. Elizabeth Smith even said I reminded you, but I didn't, did I? No, you... (laughs) certainly didn't. I did give you a hint, but it wasn't much of a hint, was it? No, it wasn't much of a hint at all. (laughs) It's going to be fun, isn't it, Jim? Uh, Yes, honey, it's going to be lots of fun. (laughs) Well, I uh, might as well get back to the children. Tell Kathy she'll have to get ready for bed pretty soon. All right, honey, I'll uh, take care of everything. Thank you, dear. You're welcome. Coward. That's what you are, nothing but a spineless coward. Father. Betty, don't even talk to me. I'm ashamed of myself. Did you tell her? Well, no. Oh. But I ought to kick myself from here clear down to the corner. She's going to be heartbroken when she does find out. Maybe she won't have to. Betty, I haven't the faintest idea of what I'm supposed to remember. And what have we got to work on? A song about a sailor with a bunch of relatives. (laughs) A big help, that is. Daddy, how about January 16th? You mean, where was I on the night of? I think I'll go in and try again. No, she's liable to get suspicious. Bud, Hmm? you go into the den and try. Try what? Find out where I'm supposed to take your mother and when. How do I do that? Well, ask her leading questions, like, uh... Well, you'll think of something. I will? Of course you will. (laughs) Now, go ahead. 
Holy cow. Daddy, how about June 5th? That's a good day. Why don't you stop that? I'm trying Thinks to help. Thinks it's so easy. How do I know what to ask? Oh, hiya, Mom. Hello, dear. Uh, fixing some socks, huh? Bud, you don't conceal pieces of old razor blades in your shoes, do you? What would I do that for? <laughs> I was just wondering. Say, Mom, speaking of dates... Were we? We weren't, huh? <laughs> we were speaking of socks. Oh. Well, speaking of socks, where are you and Dad going to go? When, dear? Uh, that's what I was going to ask you next. <laughs> oh, you mean on our special little celebration? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. Well, that's a secret. It is, huh? <laughs> It's a special secret just between your father and myself. It's more of a secret than you think. <laughs> what? I mean, <laughs> well, uh, it's a pretty good secret. <laughs> yes, sir. Bud, are you and your father up to something again? Oh, no. Uh, I mean, uh, he just said, well, uh, he didn't. Uh, I mean, Betty was a... Uh, uh, he was gonna... No. <laughs> Maybe we'd better go in and talk to him. Okay, but uh, it won't do any good. Uh, he doesn't know any... I mean, uh... <laughs> it's all right with me. It wasn't my idea in the first place. Come along, bud. I told them I didn't know what to say, but they wouldn't listen. What do they care what happens? Jim, do you know what's been going on with these nosy children of ours? What's that, honey? Uh, what do you mean? Well, first it was Betty, and now it's Bud. They're determined to find out what our secret is. I didn't say anything, Mommy. I know, dear. Margaret, let's be fair about this. After all, we are a family, and it isn't quite right for one part of a family to have a secret they won't share with the other part, is it? Well... It isn't, Mother. You know it isn't. I suppose I have been a little selfish, wanting to keep it just for ourselves, but... All right, Jim. Go ahead. Uh, what? You may tell them if you wish. I may. Well? Uh, you know, Margaret... When you get right down to it, uh, why should we? That's what I said. Father. You heard your mother, Betty. Why don't you all go somewhere and uh, do something? I'll get it. Never mind, kitten. I'd better answer it before I... Well, I'll answer it. First time I've been glad to hear the phone ring in five years. Hello? Hey, Jim. What's the big idea? Hector? You know darn well we're supposed to play poker tomorrow night. Well, who said we weren't? Well, how can you play poker and take Margaret to see some cockeyed show? I'm not taking Mark. What? Elizabeth said Margaret told her Hector, that... Wait a minute. What's the name of the show? Who knows? Pinafore, something like that. That's it. That's the whole thing. What is? Heck, you've got to do something for me. Call the theater. Get the two best seats in the house in my name. What about the poker game? I'll explain the whole thing to you later. You mean you'd rather go to a show than play poker? Of course not, but I have to go to the show. Will you please do as I ask? Oh, I'll call you right back. Thanks, pal. Pinafore. How in the world was I supposed to... Sailors and cousins. <laughs> <laughs> 
What did Hector want, dear? Oh, he, uh... Uh, it was about the poker game tomorrow night, but I explained to Jim, him... Jim, I've forgotten all about the poker game. It isn't important, honey. Not when we've got something like... Kids, I think we ought to tell you. How about it, Margaret? All right, dear, if you insist. But, Father... I've already made the reservations, and tomorrow night your mother and I are going to see a performance of HMS Pinafore. Exactly as we did on the night we had our first date. Twenty years ago. Mother, how thrilling! You mean this whole thing? Holy... (laughs) There aren't many husbands who'd remember a thing like that, but your father did. Oh, it wasn't anything, honey. I... What was that, Betty? I didn't say anything. I uh, thought you did. I might have been thinking, but I didn't say anything. (laughs) Daddy! What is it, Kathy? If you already saw it, why do you want to see it again? (laughs) We want to see if they've gotten any new cousins. Oh! Well, that's probably Hector again. I'd better see what he wants. You know, children, you have a very lucky mother. We have a lucky father, too. Don't tell me the age of miracles is over. That was the closest call I've ever had. Hello? Jim, have I got great news for you. Did you get them? They're sold out! Oh, no! It's not always easy these days to find truly good value. But with coffee, all you need do is remember that flavor is the reason you buy coffee. So the coffee with the most in flavor is bound to be the best value. And there's one coffee famous above all others for flavor, our Maxwell House coffee. Take home a familiar blue tin of Maxwell House with the big white cup and drop. Then brew some for the world's greatest coffee expert, your husband. When he says, best coffee ever, you'll know you found the flavor all right, and the best value, too. To prove that, just count all the truly good cups you get from each pound. This weekend, then, choose the coffee with the world's best-loved flavor, our Maxwell House coffee. Always good to the last drop. the very, very top of any good theater, you're bound to find the roof. And the Springfield Opera House is a very good theater. Immediately below the roof, however, you don't always find Jim and Margaret Anderson. That's where they are tonight, though, in the very last row of the very top balcony. Like this. Twenty years. Twenty wonderful years. A long time, isn't it, honey? Wonderful years. And wonderful moments. And this the most wonderful of all. Margaret. Don't say anything, dear. Just hold my hand. But uh, I want to explain about the seats. Jim, please. I'm going to cry. Margaret, believe me, I tried. I know you did, Angel. I know how you must have tried, but 
I never expected you to remember this. You got the same seats we had 20 years ago. Gainsey, the famous talking dog, always says, Gaines meal. What about Gaines meal, Gainsey? <laughs> Nourishes every inch of a dog. It sure does. Kennel and laboratory tests prove Gaines meal supplies balanced nourishment your dog needs for good health. Yet Gaines costs less to feed than any other type of dog food. So, folks, get Gaines meal. <laughs> America's largest selling dog food. Join us again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargie and the Maxwell House Orchestra. In our cast were Rhoda Williams as Betty, June Whitley, Ted Donaldson, Norma Jean Nilsson, Herb Bygram, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. You know, United States savings bonds are now defense bonds. So contribute to the nation's security as you build for your own future. Buy United States defense bonds regularly through the payroll savings plan or the bond a month plan. Now until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. Listen on NBC. The old Kraft Music Hall grabbing a shortwave boost to our fighting men all over the world. You know, it's increasingly amazing to me how many ways are granted us to give them a boost. For instance, waste kitchen fats. Certainly nothing to us, but they're a vital ingredient in the manufacture of high explosives. That's the stuff that's rocking our enemies right now, fore and aft. The OPA has now authorized your butcher to pay you two brown points for every pound of fat you save. Two brown points and four cents in cash. That's certainly pretty good pay for helping to win the war. So keep rendering the fat, pouring it into smooth, edged cans and bringing it to your butcher. You collect one brown point for every half to three-quarters of a pound, two brown points for three-quarters of a pound to a pound and a half, and so on. These points will be good for any meat or fat purchases, so get your fat in. It's vitally important. To waste fat is unforgivable. To waste anything is setting a horrible example. Your Coca-Cola bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you, transcribed, Monday through Friday, by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. And now, Claudia.
What is? You're moping because the stem broke. It wasn't the stem. If it had been, it could have been repaired. It was the bowl. But it wasn't the only pipe you owned. No, but it was my favorite one. I didn't know there were some of the words you used when it cracked. You've led a very sheltered life. <laughs> you don't know very much about pipes either. Ouch! What's wrong? I can't see. Something just flew in my eye. I'll blow your nose. Oh, that never helps with me. Funny how you don't appreciate your eye until you get something in it. Or your teeth until you get a toothache. Or your stomach until you get a stomachache. Maybe we'd better stop right there. <laughs> Look, here's my handkerchief. Well, I'll show you how. I know perfectly well how to blow my nose. Anyway, it never gets things out of my eye. It's an exploded theory. It is not. How does your eye feel now? Terrible. Uh, step over here under the street light. Let me see what I can do. None of this rolling up my eye like a rod. Stop being a sissy. I am not a sissy. And why do men think that when they look at things, it helps? Hush, and open up. I can't open. If I could open, I'd be all right. If we're going to get what's in it out of it, you've got to open it. This is just the doctor in you coming out. Open up. Oh, all right. There. You satisfied? Hmm. Hmm. Can't see a thing. Wait a second. No, no. You must be blind. Probably just a little speck. It's a big lump of coal. Well, let's cross the street. There's a drugstore over there, and the druggist will be able to get it out. I knew it. It'll be that old toothpick and rolling up like a rug stun after all. You want to get that big lump of coal out of your eye, don't you? Can I do anything for you? I uh, wonder if you could help us. My wife just got a sender in her eye. If you stand over here by the light, lady... Can you get it out without running my lid up like a window shade? <laughs> That's funny. It's not at all funny. It's It's... Barbaric, that's what it is. A little more into the light, please. Thousands of years, people have been getting things in their eyes. You'd think they'd have found a better way to get them out. This way always seems to work. You wouldn't be so smug about it for your eye. A little wider. Now look up. Way up. I'm practically upside down. There we are. Where? There on the point of the piece of cotton. I don't see it. You don't see that tremendous piece of coal? A little speck can feel like a mountain sometimes. Or a molehill. I don't think you got it out. It always feels that way in a few minutes. Yep, better now. Can I pay you for this? <laughs> We're not doctors. We just do this to help people. But I, I need a lot of things. Uh, what will you need, miss? Um, um, uh, what do we need, David? I know. Toothpaste. Uh, what kind? Peppermint. You're buying toothpaste, darling, not candy. It's pink, too. Uh, this is the kind I think you want. The pink kind tastes better, I suppose. Is this the kind? Yes. Hmm. <gasps> David, look at that whole case full of pipes. I'm going to buy you uh, one. Thank you, dear, but a pipe is something that you don't buy in a drugstore. We have some wonderful pipes here. I'll show you. Uh, no, thank you. Don't bother. to look. You buy practically everything else in a drugstore. I've got a nice new number here lined with honey. The first time you smoke it... It burns your tongue off and smells like autumn leaves. <laughs> well, that's a nice smell. Not to a pipe smoker. Well, I wouldn't know. I never smoked one of these. Fact is, I don't smoke a pipe. Now, uh, here's a good cellar we have. It's got a magnesium coil and distills out all the nicotine. That's what it says on the box. It probably writes underwater, too. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about that. Uh, how about this little briar? No, I don't think so. Thanks. You want let me buy you a pipe? No. 
Well, just to show you I don't hold grudges, I think I'll let you buy me a soda. Does it ever occur to you that you're always hungry? No, but seeing a soda fountain makes me hungry. And seeing a beautiful roast beef probably makes you thirsty. Buy me one? You took the words right out of my mouth. Hey, what do you folks have? Uh, chocolate ice cream soda. Chocolate or vanilla cream? Uh, raspberry. In a chocolate ice cream soda? Who said I wanted a chocolate ice cream soda? Ah, uh, you did, miss. I want what you have over there in the picture. Huh? Giant double sundae. Ah, raspberry sundae. And put a little chocolate ice cream in it, too. Chocolate ice cream? And a slice of banana. Combination sundae, huh? Marshmallow or whipped cream? Um, Sounds like the basic formula for marshmallow an atomic bomb. Marshmallow on the bomb. chocolate and whipped cream on the raspberry. Yeah. Here you are, lady. Take care of the maraschino cherry on the top. You want that, too? She likes maraschino cherries. Probably the only reason she ordered what's under it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'll it be for you, mister? Aren't you going to have one, David? Me? One of those things? I suppose you don't think it's manly to eat a soda. I don't think it's sensible to put all that stuff inside you. Have a limeade. I'll have a Coca-Cola. Mmm. This is good. Oh, Glad I wouldn't know. Mm. Thirty-five cents. Thanks. Claudia, you're eating that awfully quickly. I'm awfully hungry. They make shipwrecked men eat very slowly. I'm not shipwrecked men. There, almost finished. All right, take your time. Let's go home. You know, David, it's funny about men. Sounds like it was profound. It doesn't mean anything. You know, I wonder if most of the profound things in life are just unfinished sentences. I'm not being profound, just observant. All right. What's funny about men? Well, they're really much more possessive than women. I always thought it was the other way around. Now, take your razor, for instance. You don't like me to use it. I don't like you to use it to take the paint off the window glass. No, not that, but you... You really don't like me to touch it. Is that being selfish? I didn't say selfish. I said possessive. It's your newspaper in the morning and your office and, 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 and your pipe. Of course it's my pipe. What would you want to do with a pipe? Blow soap bubbles? No, but if I move it, you look at it closely to see if I've scratched it. <laughs> and when I asked you if it wouldn't be good to boil it out over the stove, you simply exploded. I did not explode. Where I stood, you did. You gave a dress rehearsal of what you'd do if I ever did. Did what? Pull your pipe out. Well, we can forget about the pipe for a while. It's broken now. Mm, I'm glad I didn't do it. I wish you had. Why? I can't be as mad at myself for being so clumsy as I could have been at someone else. <laughs> well, here we are at home. Did you have a nice walk? David. What? Let's walk a little more. Down the avenue with the wind blowing in our faces. We've just finished a long walk. Aren't you tired? I was, but I'm not now. You know, I feel a little queer. Anything particular? No, just a little... Queer? Yes. Like something I ate didn't agree with me. David, you didn't taste anything funny about the supper. No, no, I I thought it was a grand supper. It isn't bad, it's just... Just queer. Mm. Probably something you ate. Couldn't be if you feel all right. Could be. I feel fine. Of course... I didn't eat that poisonous concoction at the soda fountain. You don't think a little thing like that? I think just that. Come on, we'll 
Walk a couple of blocks and you'll feel fine. Well, here we are almost home again. And I feel fine. I feel marvelous. With all this walking, I've worked up an appetite. I could eat a horse. We're fresh out of horses. I'd settle for a sandwich. Fresh out of sandwiches. What's the matter? Don't you think I'm worth feeding? <laughs> no, bread. I mean, there's just enough for breakfast. Well, how about a piece of cake and a glass of milk? And don't say fresh out. Then what's another way of saying it? Because the kitchen's just as clean empty as Mrs. Jack Spratt's platter. Who is Mrs. Spratt and what's she got to do with it? Skip it. I arrange it that way. On the night I defrost the icebox, it's my system to have an empty larder. Mm. Most of the trouble in the world comes from people who have systems. You picked this particular night to take me out and exercise me into a ravenous hunger. Drugstore's here at the corner. Piece of cake and a glass of milk. Fine, fine. Then I'll be able to sleep. You're right with you, folks. They have some really nice palm cake with raisins in it. That's good. Hey, see what that kid's ordering? When I was his age, that was my passion. What? A chocolate walnut sundae. Walnuts and syrup. Sounds like a fairly innocent passion. It wasn't. They used to cost ten cents. <sighs> At one time, I earned a half a dollar cleaning out a backyard. Yes. And I ate five of them in a row. You were a pig. They were wonderful. Oh, uh, hello. It's you folks again. What do you have, lady? Another one of those uh, super deluxe specials? I, I don't think I'll have anything, thank you. But my husband will have a glass of milk and a piece of cake. I've changed my mind. I... I'll, uh, I'll have what you just served that youngster over there. Chocolate water or something? Is that what it is? Uh, look, Claudia, if you don't feel well, I better get some bicarbonate of soda. Oh, I feel fine now, really, really. Well, just... just to be on the safe side, you can't be too careful. A, a box of bicarbonate. I'll send it over to the counter for you. Always wise to have stuff like that around the house. Hey, yeah, Mr. Chocolate water Sunday. Sure you won't have anything, Claudia? No, not a thing. Well, I, I am a little thirsty. Um, maybe I have a Coke. <laughs> you never can resist anything, can you? Oh, I learned my lesson tonight, all right. And here's a package from the other counter. Let's see, it's 60, 60, 65, 75. I'm, uh, I'm shy of dying, Claudia. I haven't got a dime. I have a quarter. That'll do. Uh, thanks. Uh, keep the change. You should thank me, too. It was my quarter. Thank you, too. All right. Oh, David, it's been a wonderful evening. Just us two together. Lovely night and a long walk. And... Mm -hmm. What's the matter? Didn't you really enjoy it? Mm -hmm. You really are moping about your pipe again, aren't you? Mm, haven't thought of it in the last five minutes. Well, here we are. Isn't it grand to have our own home and be going up to it and... Mm -hmm. uh, look, darling... Why don't you go on upstairs and I'll come along in a little while? Why, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong. I'd just like to walk a little bit more. Darling, you want to walk more? No, I do not. What I want to do is to break a vicious circle. A what? A vicious circle. We take a simple walk after dinner and you get hungry and have to eat some horrible mixture. Horrible? 
Then we have to walk further until you feel better and I get hungry. Like a darn fool, I... You know, that Sunday was awfully rich and sweet. I'll walk with you, darling. I'd be glad to. And have this performance go on all night? This broadcast of Claudia was supervised and directed by William Brown Maloney. More and more factories and offices are installing those familiar red coolers so that employees can pause for a Coke and work refreshed. But you don't have to install any extras in your kitchen. Your refrigerator will do nicely. All you have to do is see that it's well stocked with Coca-Cola. Then you can pause in the midst of your household duties whenever you feel the need and refresh yourself with ice-cold Coke. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again Monday at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember. Whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes. I'd rather have a Raleigh. 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 Because Raleigh's are right. Right for taste and right for throat. The Raleigh Cigarette Program, starring Red Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star, Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Verna Felton, Pat McGee, and our guest, Wonderful Smith, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure to bring you Metro-Golden-Mayer's popular comedian and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton! Thank you, thank you very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, hello, Red. What do you know? I don't know nothing. What do you know? I don't know nothing. Well, what do you know? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like good material. I wish we had some. (laughs) No, all my jokes are new tonight. All new jokes. Really? All new jokes, Red? Yeah, tonight the corn is green. What's new this week, Rod? Well, they hit the moon. They what? They hit the moon. Must have been a woman driver. (laughs) 
Hey, I don't know much about the moon. Tell me, does the moon rotate around the sun? Yes, red all planets revolve around the sun. Boy, Los Angeles really takes a detour, don't it, huh? <laughs> it's interesting, though. I wonder what the moon really is. Well, I've heard several definitions, but I think it's a cold, clammy, lifeless body that glares down at us. Oh, sort of like an income tax collector, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, not to change the subject, Red. I wish you would, really. <laughs> but I'd like to say your trip to Las Vegas last week did you good. You look really? fresh as a flower. A potted one. Yes. Nothing. Yes. <laughs> he said to me, let's put that joke in for a laugh. <laughs> Where is it, Doc? <laughs> I'll never take another trip across that desert, though. It took me five days. Five days? Why, it's only 200 miles. Yeah, I can only travel at night, though. My thumbs sunburn so easily. <laughs> Well, did you see Boulder Dam? Yes, I took my father to get his mind off of drinking, you know. Really? And it helped? No, he took one look at Boulder Dam and he says, Look, no wonder you can't get a chaser. They're holding it back. <laughs> I saw a papa beaver talking to about 20 little baby beavers. Mm -hmm. He got them all together and he says, Look, kids, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> Well, it's pretty crowded in Las Vegas. Tell me, Red, uh, what did you do about finding a place to stay? Well, I finally told the mayor that I was tired of sleeping in the park. Yeah, what did he say? Nothing. He just laughed and laid back down on the bench and went to sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> but where did you stay, Red? At the Last Frontier Hotel. That's really a nice place to have gambling there, you know. Really? Yes, in case you ever go there. Notice that white flag over the hotel. That's my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, say, I noticed a beautiful hat box in your dressing room. Something good inside? Yes, it's a present for Anita Ellis. Oh, a present for me, Red? Yes, Anita, but I'm a little nervous about giving it to you. Oh, why, Red? Well, you know how women are. You give them something and then they get all mushy and want to kiss you, you know. <laughs> oh, Red, I don't think I'm like that. You not? <laughs> you mean I carry that thing all the way up here for nothing? <laughs> well, now, here's uh, Raleigh's Rod O'Connor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Now, medical science offers you proof positive. Yes, medical science offers you proof positive. No other leading cigarette is safer to smoke because no other gives you less nicotine, less throat-irritating tars than the new, smoother, better-tasting Raleigh. Yes, Raleigh's are right. Right for taste. Right for throat. For medical science now offers you proof positive. No other cigarette gives you less nicotine. Less throat-irritating tars, so no other is safer to smoke. Next time, ask for Raleigh's. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And now, lovely Anita Ellis sings Some Sunday Morning. Some Sunday morning is going to be Some Sunday morning for someone and me Bells will be chiming An old melody Especially for someone and me There'll be an organ playing Friends and relations will stare Can't you hear saying, gee, what a peach of a pear, some Sunday morning, we'll walk down the aisle, he'll be so nervous, 
and I'll try to smile. Things sure look rosy for someone and me. Some Sunday morning, you see, there'll be an organ playing. Friends and relations will stare. Gee, can't you hear them saying, "Oh, what a peach of a pear!" Some Sunday morning, we'll walk down the aisle. He'll be so nervous, and I'll try to smile. Things sure look rosy for someone and me. Some beautiful Sunday morning, you see. Thank you very much. Tonight we open the skeleton scrapbook of satire to a story entitled "Looking for Trouble." Our characters are fictional. If there's any similarity to persons living, they should go down to the morgue and give themselves up. <laughs> Chapter 81 of Looking for Trouble is entitled The Man Who Stole Miguel. This is the story of Deadeye and his long search for gentleman Jim Harkins, the man who ran away with his girl, Margie the Clipper. It's midwinter in Montana. The blizzard is raging. Boy, it's a beaut. Montana, that is. <laughs> Hey, wonderful. Yeah, but Deadeye, why go to all this trouble to get even with some critter who stole your gal? Why? Didn't you ever fall in love? No, but I fell in a river once. That's the same thing. You get soaked either way. <laughs> well, Deadeye, I'm turning back. Turning back? Is that all our friendship means? No, Mr. Deadeye. You know I'd face death for you. Oh, yeah? Then how come you ran when that grizzly bear challenged us? He wasn't dead, was he? <laughs> Well, I gotta find Gentleman Jim Harkins, the guy that stole my gal. Well, let's look in California. California? What's that? That's that's a place where you get hit by a woman driver and you take a sun bath while waiting for an ambulance. Oh. There's an ambulance. There's people up in these mountains. I can hear them. Gordon, there. Look, there's a cabin just ahead of us. Let's inquire in there, and if they ain't seen my gal and Gentleman Jim, then we'll head for California. Okay. Come on, let's race for the cabin. Ooh! It was a tie. Yeah, but I would have won if I'd have hit a horse. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go up and knock on the door here. Did I? Howdy, Dad. Hey, what did you follow me up here for, Deadeye? Stop playing the piano, will you, gal? Yeah. Talk to me. I said, what did you follow me up here for? Because I can't live without you, gal. Well, why can't you live without me? Because you got all my money, gal. <laughs> it's good to see you again, gal. Come on, sit on my lap. Here, pull up a knee and sit down. Okay. Still bow-legged as ever, ain't you? 
Yeah, I've been that way ever since I swallowed that chicken wishbone. <laughs> I'm proud of that. That's my... Why don't you come back to the Flathead County with me, gal? It's no use, Ted. I'm Gentleman Jim Hawkins. He's promised me a love nest. Well, you go with me. I'll give you some Snickers. <laughs> After all, why should the girl in the balcony have all of them, you know? How about kissing me, gal? No, Dad, I, I don't want to kiss. Why not? I'd rather have a Raleigh. Yeah. Who's that? Uh-oh. Did I? Jim Hawkins just rode up. Uh-oh. I thought I recognized your horse, did I? Stand back, gal. Uh, here's a cowboy that's seen too many of them Errol Flynn pictures. <laughs> did I? Why don't you let us be? Maggie the Clipper and I are as happy as two bugs in a rug. Well, you better pull in your ears, because my gun's is loaded with DDT. <laughs> don't shoot me, did I? You can have your gal. Gentlemen, Jim, you ain't no gentleman. You're so yellow you could give transfusions to bananas. Yeah. Well, that skins me. I'm proud of that. Why don't we be fair and square about this, huh? We'll fight a duel for her hand. Very well. Count three and we'll both draw. Now, he ought to know better than that. Okay, come outside. Very well, did I? There, take that! Why, oh. you didn't even give Deadeye a chance. Yeah, I'm done for, Gail. I'm on my way to that cabin in the sky. Oh, Deadeye. Deadeye, you can't go to that cabin in the sky yet, because I love you. Oh, no, goodbye, Gail. Roll me over on my face. I don't want to see where I'm really going. <laughs> you better go in. I'm proud of that. You better go inside out of the cold, Gail. Gentlemen, Jim, we're through. Well, I didn't know you loved him so much. Come in. Howdy, folks. Did I? I thought you were going to that cabin in the sky. They wouldn't let me in. Why? No vacancies up there, either. <laughs> Chapter 82. Thank you. Chapter 82 is entitled, I've Been Insulted. When a girl has been insulted, she usually looks for her man to fight to protect her honor. If she can find him, it's usually Clem Cadiddlehopper. <laughs> well, here I am. Some Sunday morning. do 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 I wonder if Sarah Dew's all alone. I'll just sneak up to the door and listen for a minute. No, I'd better stop that listening. I'm beginning to hear things. Well, howdy, Clay. Well, Sarah Dew, howdy doody to you, too. a nice day today, ain't it? The sun got back from Florida early this year, didn't it? <laughs> Say, uh, what did you want to see me about? Well, Clem, people are talking. Well, of course they're talking. What do you expect them to do, Bart? <laughs> That's too fast for her. She didn't get it. 
Well, what's this I hear about you and the widow Brown? It's a lie. I don't even know the woman. And that's a lie, too. Oh, Clem, you're a moron. Yes, and medical science can give you proof positive. <laughs> I'm proud of that. Well, you took that widow to the movies the other night, didn't you? I did not. She took me. Well, did you hold her hand? I sure did. Why? She was sniffing my popcorn. <laughs> Truly, Clem, have you ever kissed her? Only on the cheek. Well, you sure it wasn't her lips? Well, she was grinning a little at the time. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Who told you I took her to the movies? Well, I heard it at the drugstore. A feller said, there goes that Sarah Do, and she plays second fiddle for Clem Cadiddlehopper. I didn't even know you had a union card. <laughs> No, Clem, either you make that blabbermouth apologize or we are through. Really? Well, then, come on. I'll go down and make him take it back. I won't stand for that eight hole. Eight hole, I won't stand for that. you're going the wrong way. (laughs) Sometimes my feet's a lot smarter than I am. (laughs) Now, come on, let's go. Now, let's go. Me. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll take care of him right now. Come here, you. Hey, put me down. Yeah, I'll put you down. What's this talk you started about me? Clem. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. You're the type of a guy I can handle. You put me down. Yeah. Clem, he didn't say it. He didn't? No. Go put that midget down. <laughs> well, if he didn't say it, who said it? That big fella, he's the one. Go on, Clem, make him take it back. Him? Mm-hmm. Oh, surely he didn't say it. Well, yes, he did. Yes, he did, didn't you? Didn't you say Clem was a two-timer? Yes, I did, and don't start anything or I'll knock you conscious. <laughs> Come on, put up your mitts. Now, look, I'll give you one last chance to apologize. I apologize to you, you lily-livered, chicken-hearted nincompoop. Well, that's mighty decent of you. <laughs> You heard her. Now look, dog meat, go home and play with your toys or I'll slap your face. You slap my face and I'll bite your fingers off. <laughs> I'll bite your fingers off, you slap me. Oh, you will! <laughs> yes, sir, I'll gum them off, I will. <laughs> Medical science offers you proof positive. Yes, medical science offers you proof positive. No other leading cigarette is safer to smoke because no other gives you less nicotine, less throat-irritating tars than the new, smoother, better-tasting Raleigh. Myron Nelson, America's number one golfer, says, quote, It's true. I've seen the certified test with my own eyes. Medical science has proved no other cigarette gives you less nicotine, less throat-irritating tars. Thus is actually safer to smoke. Raleigh's must be right. Right for taste, right for throat. You're right, Byron Nelson. Raleigh's are right. Exhaustive scientific tests of America's six biggest-selling brands, certified by 14 distinguished doctors, 
including eminent throat specialists, have proved conclusively no other cigarette gives you less nicotine, less throat-irritating tars, so no other is safer to smoke. See if you don't agree, Raleigh's are right. Right for taste, right for throat. Try Raleigh's. Enjoy Raleigh's rich tobacco. That milder, smoother, more satisfying Raleigh flavor. Remember, medical science now offers you proof, positive. No other leading cigarette is safer to smoke because no other gives you less nicotine, less throat-irritating tars than the new, smoother, better-tasting Raleigh. And now David Forrester and his orchestra plays Tumbling Weed. for trouble is entitled Time to Go to Bed, Kitty. When a child is reminded that it's bedtime, there's usually a little trouble. But with the little child psychology, it can be handled pretty nicely with everyone except the mean widow kid. now. <laughs> It's time all good little boys were in bed. Well, that's what they get for being good, you know. 
I will come in. Wait till I get me wagon here. Pull me wagon. Oh, wait a minute, Julia. You can't bring that wagon in the house. Why not? It isn't yours. Yes, it is. It's yours. I got it from the widow kid next door. In a widow deal, I cook up at my wagon. What did you give him for it? Well, he was happy with the whole deal, you know. <laughs> what did you give him for it? A black eye. <laughs> Come, hurry upstairs and take your bath and get ready for bed. Okay. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to take a bath. Now what happened? The door was ajar. Now me poor little nose is a jam. <laughs> hey, Grandma, how long will it be before I'm old enough I don't have to take baths no more? Never. Kind of a dull outlook, ain't it, huh? Your bath is ready. Stop wasting time or the water in the tub will get cold. Okay, I will play Johnny Weissmuller. I will run and dive into the water. Here I go. <laughs> Who pulled that stuff around? <laughs> I'd better fill the tub up again. I'd better fill the tub full of water. Just... <laughs> Oh, we're going to no hover. Junior, are you taking a bath? Yes, don't come in, don't come in. I got nothing on, don't come in. Well, put your pajamas on and get out of there. Okay, okay, goodness. Everywhere you go these days, peeping toms, you know. <laughs> now, I did want to lay in the bubble bath and sort of soak a widow, too, you know. Now, I'll get my pajamas on. Now, I will get out of here. <laughs> oh, shoot. Hmm? You're soaking wet. Well, you said put on me widow pajamas and get out of there. Junior, you don't put your pajamas on in the tub. Now she tells me. <laughs> My goodness, you're, you're still dirty. Huh? Didn't you use any soap? Yes, I did, but the way I use it, it lasts longer. I leave the wrappers on. <laughs> into these dry pajamas and get into bed. Okay, I am sleepy, but I will try. Just for you, I will try. <laughs> Now what are you doing? I'm taking a cat nap. <laughs> Junior. Grandma. Are you going to lie down or do I have to tie the ropes? No, I think the chains will hold me okay. <laughs> well, good night. <clears throat> Grandma. No, you can't have a drink of water. Well, what is this? Information, please? <laughs> Wait for the question. Well, what do you want? I'm thirsty. You're just stalling, Junior. Either you're going to sleep or your aren't going to get any of that pie I make for tomorrow. Banana pie? Yes. With whipped cream? Yes. Nice, fresh bananas? Yes. Never touch this. <laughs> Gotta watch me wait, you know. Gotta watch me wait. Junior, hmm? be quiet. What? Did you hear that noise? No. You think they heard us? <laughs> now, you don't you scare me. Now, I am scared. Now, now, nothing will get you. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. <laughs> They wouldn't keep you when they saw who they had. Yes. <laughs> you sure does love me, and it might be a stranger. They would keep me, too. Yes. Granny wouldn't let anything get Yes, they would just tell me. Don't be frightened. There, there. There, there. I'm frightened. Bless his little heart. Yeah, bless his little heart. <laughs> it's all right. It's only the man next door. Now, that's what I figured, but don't you think I handle this dramatic stuff pretty well? <laughs> oh, go to sleep. Okay. Hey, Grandma, why does that man next door come out every night and look up in the sky for her? Huh? He's a student of astronomy. He's oh. studying the stars. Oh, I want to see stars. You'll see plenty if you don't go to sleep. 
Oh, can I have the glass of water first? Oh, get it yourself. Do anything you like. Grow up to be an idiot and stay away from that pie. Okay. <laughs> Trusting old soul, ain't you? <laughs> oh, boy, I'm off to the kitchen. I'm off to the kitchen. Now, I wonder where that pie could be. I wonder if it's just up here on this shelf here. I will take a little... Junior, what happened? What? I broke the crystal in me Mickey Mouse was. <laughs> Let's see what's up on this next shelf here. Oh, oh, a mouse trap, a mouse trap. Whew, boy, that cheese. Boy, that sure is strong, isn't it? Whew, boy, I bet them old mice have to back up to that stuff. <laughs> oh, there's the pie. There's the pie. Oh, there. I wonder if I could take a nice big hunk. Grandma might get mad, you know. And then again, she might say, that little kid was hungry and it's okay. <laughs> and then again, I don't know why I was wasting my time thinking about it. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> boy, that's sure is good. My eyes are bigger than my tummy, though. I can't put this back because Grandma would smell a two-legged rat named Junior. <laughs> and I just throw it out the window. <laughs> oh, that man standing there. Sound like a bull's eye, didn't it? <laughs> Oh, dear, he couldn't have been standing there. I think he saw me. I, I better get sleepy and get to bed real quick. Well, good night, Grandma. Good night. Aren't you going to say your prayers? I said them on the way upstairs. You think they'll be answered? Not now, no. no. Junior, now see if you can go to sleep. If that's for me, I'm going to be born next week, Tyler. Oh, probably someone got pie-eyed and has the wrong house. If he's pie-eyed, he got the right house. <laughs> Where is that little grandson of yours? He's in bed. With indigestion, no doubt. Look at my suit. I wouldn't be seen in it. Why don't you have it clean? I'm going to, and you're going to get the bill. Hey, what's all the noise about? Can a widow fellow get some sleep around here? Do you mind telling me what this is all about? I was standing under your window looking up at the stars. Suddenly I turned to look at the big dipper, but it wasn't the dipper. It was that kid's hand with a big hunk of pie in it. Do tell. Why did you hit me with that pie? Oh, you wanted a drink of water, eh? Junior, come here. No, I don't want to. Don't whip me. I will be good. No, no, no. Now, get to bed. I don't know what it is with me. I don't have a care or a worry in the world. But every night I cry myself to sleep. <laughs> Remember, we'll all be with you on every Tuesday night at the same time. Red Skelton, David Forrester and his orchestra, Anita Ellis, Vernon Felton, Gigi Pearson, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. Until next Tuesday, then. This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now and thanks for listening. And listen to Bob Hope next week when he presents the Look Magazine Award. And remember the March of Dimes. Goodbye now. Remember, listen to Hildegard tomorrow night and the People Are Funny Without Linklater Friday night over most of these stations. Red Skelton is heard in this program through the courtesy of Metro Golden Air. Sir Walter Raleigh. That's the tobacco that leaves your pipe as clean as a whistle. It's carefully blended from rich, ripe burleys and mellowed with just a touch of rum to enhance the natural, full-bodied flavor. And Sir Walter Raleigh burns cool and even right down to the bottom of the bowl, leaves a clean, dry ash in your pipe. Get Sir Walter Raleigh, the quality pipe tobacco of America.
Red Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. can add to your listening pleasure by subscribing to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. For only 99 cents a month, you gain access to more shows for your enjoyment. Subscribe now, and happy listening. Now for our story. When Sergeant Bill Meade arrived at the Lane Farm this evening, he found Lefty Larkin waiting at the gate for him. Lefty, who already knew that Bill had seemingly changed his mind about asking Kit for a divorce. Lefty, who was determined to find out just what sort of game Bill was playing with Peggy Douglas. Aunt Mary believed that there was some reason for Bill's puzzling behavior, but Lefty didn't agree with Aunt Mary. A belief that was confirmed for him by his talk with Sergeant Meade. Bill's stubborn refusal to discuss the situation only infuriated Lefty the more. After Bill had gone up towards Aunt Mary's, the storm broke and drove Lefty to his own little house. Sitting in his old leather chair, Lefty began to have misgivings. Perhaps he'd been too hasty with Bill, had said all the wrong things. Maybe he should have left it up to Aunt Mary. But he hadn't been able to control his desire to protect Peggy. A very natural attitude for a father to have towards a girl he knows is his daughter. As he so often did, Lefty wondered how it would have changed the course of events if he had told Peggy and Aunt Mary the truth that day 15 years ago when he first came to this little farm. Lefty sat for some time, tracing back in the past for the things that were happening now and wondering and worrying about the future. Then, suddenly throwing his old raincoat around his shoulders, Lefty ran up the slope to the farmhouse. Who's that? Lefty? Yeah. Well, come on in. Just a minute. I gotta hang this coat up somewhere so it won't drift all over the place. Sure is a hard rain. Yes, I, I thought at first it was going to be just one of those quick summer showers. A lot of noise and no moisture. I expect this will keep up all night. The electricity's working again. Yes, I know. But I like a kerosene lamp. It makes such a nice, soft light. Yeah. Aren't you going to sit down? Yeah. Well... Well, what? I've been hating to ask what happened. Thought maybe I could get an idea from your attitude, but even that don't tell me much. What are you talking about, Lefty? Where's Peggy? Upstairs in her room. And Bill? He's gone. When did he leave? Oh, about half hour ago, I'd say. How did you know he was here? I met him down by the front gate. Didn't he tell you? I didn't see him. You didn't? No, I'd come in the house. Next thing I knew, the rain started. I was coming downstairs from closing windows when I saw Peggy standing by the front door. He came in here. 
And you know, I thought she seemed a little, well, strange. So he did hurt her. I knew he would. You'd think that by this time, a man, well, by the time he got to his late 20s, he'd have stopped blundering around, walking roughshod over people. But I suppose it's, it's because Bill's about as sensitive as a hunk of rock. Lefty. It'd have been much kinder to Peggy if he hadn't come here at all. I tried to tell him that when we talked down by the gate. I told him he ought to go away, leave her alone. I see. You take on like this, make these, these positive statements, and you don't even know what happened. Yes, I do. I've known what would happen since the day I went into town to see Bill. And from the little you said, I have a pretty good idea. He didn't give Peggy any explanation, did he? No. And Kit's not going out west to get a divorce. Evidently not. Yeah. It's a shame. A darn shame that Peggy wasn't giving some sort of warning. Aunt Mary, you should have prepared her. You should have told her. No. No, I couldn't have, because I simply didn't know. Uh, how about your faith in Bill Mead now? I still have it. You can't mean that, Aunt Mary. How can you? That young man has brought Peggy nothing but trouble. He makes a wreckage out of her life a second time, and just when she's managed to struggle and build a fresh start for herself. You can have faith in a boy like that? Yes. Yes, I can. I don't understand your attitude in this. You can still think well of Bill Mead? You can still think of marriage in connection with him and Peggy? Oh, now, wait a minute. Lefty, I didn't say that. You're making the very same mistake as Peggy. Ever since Bill's been married to Kit Calvert, I've never even thought of him in connection with Peggy. Oh, I know, but... Well, go on. Even when he came to Peggy the other day and told her that he'd known for a long time his marriage wasn't all it should be and said he was going to divorce Kit. Even then, Lefty, I didn't think of marriage in connection with Bill and Peggy. All I said was that if Bill really had made a mistake, it was his to rectify, to solve. As far as he and Peggy were concerned, well, that would be something for them to work out, if possible. You should know that, Lefty, from the talks we've had. I also told you I had some misgivings as to Bill and Peggy's being together while he's still married to Kit. Yeah. All I'm saying now about Bill is that I disagree with you and Peggy when you say that he's lacking in sincerity. Is that what she thinks, too? She says she thinks that. You see, her attitude is that, well, if you were honest about wanting to divorce Kit... What could there possibly be that Bill wouldn't tell her? And she's right. Well, maybe, but I don't think so. A man such as I believe Bill is would feel that no matter what Kit has done, that he had a certain duty toward his wife, that he owed her certain protection. No, Lefty, I'm very much inclined to believe Bill. That there's something about this he isn't free to discuss with Peggy. Is that all he told her? Well, he implied that. He didn't actually say so. From what Peggy told me, I gathered that he just asked her to try to be understanding and patient. Yeah, that's swell, isn't it? Peggy's supposed to be understanding and patient while he goes ahead as he always has. 
And, Mary, I tell you, that boy's no good. In the first place, anyone who could be taken in by Kit Calvert's technique is a fool. No, listen. Well, it's the truth. And I'm not so sure that Bill isn't right where he belongs, with the Calverts. The only thing that gets me is that, well, that Peggy is so wrapped up in him. It's partly her own fault. We both advised her not to jump to conclusions, not to plan too far ahead, but to wait and see. It's all right to dream, but you have to make them out of something solid. Dreams need a foundation. Yeah, I suppose so. Do you think I should go up and see her? Well, of course, if you want to. But what do you think? Should I? Well, I think maybe it would be a good idea if we let her alone for a little while. Give her a chance to think things over for herself. How do you think she really took it? Well, first reactions aren't always true, and so it may be a little early to say. She was very bitter. You see, it's hard for her because she said she couldn't believe him, and yet she loves him. Poor kid. She told me that she intended to get rid of any feelings she had for Bill. I'm glad to hear that. If you ask me, that's the best thing she could do. I, I think she... Uh, wait a minute, Lefty. Peggy? Yes? Are you all right? Yes, Aunt Mary, of course I'm all right. Peggy, where are you going? No place in particular. Do you mind I'm going to take the car for a little while? The car? Why, dear? Where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm kind of restless. Do you mind? No. But Peggy, driving around in this weather, it, it don't make sense. Oh, it's not that bad. It's not so late. But why do you want to go out? I don't think you should. Oh, don't worry about me, Lefty. I'm all right. May I take the car, Aunt Mary? Why, of course, dear. Um, have you any idea where you'll be going? No place in particular, just toward town. I shan't be gone long. All right, Peggy. Take care. And Peggy Douglas might do very well to heed her aunt's warnings. Why didn't you tell Aunt Mary what you were going to do, Peggy? Why didn't you tell her that you were going after Bill? That you hoped to catch up with him before he gets home? Well, it looks as if you decided that something's better than nothing. And somehow, Peggy, I don't believe Aunt Mary would agree with that attitude. It's the season for bright, tempting dishes, for foods that radiate good cheer. It's the season for Kraft Salad Mustard. Foods fairly sparkle with appetite appeal when you add the tangy flavor of golden, creamy smooth Kraft Salad Mustard. This mustard, with the just right spicing, peps up sausage and cold cuts, blends smoothly into keen-tasting cream sauces for vegetables, adds delicious flavor to golden eggs. Ask for this light, golden, creamy smooth salad mustard made by Kraft. Or try that other favorite, Kraft Mustard with horseradish added. Buy these two delicious mustards, salad mustard and horseradish mustard, both prepared by Kraft. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with I See the Moon at Noon.
wax. Why should I wax my floors? What does the wax really do for them? Well, that's a good fundamental question, and I can answer it very clearly. Have you ever rubbed an apple to make it shine? Do you realize that what made it shine was a thin coat of wax with which nature protects fruit and flowers? It's true. And the use of genuine wax on floors is also for protection. When you put Johnson's wax on your floors, you're protecting them against scratches, stains, and wear of all kinds. The wax coat is a glowing shield of protection. And just as rubbing the apple made it more beautiful, polishing your floors with genuine Johnson's wax adds greatly to their beauty. And for that matter, to the beauty of your entire home. And there's a third reason for Johnson waxing your floors. It saves you work all year. Does away with tiresome floor scrubbing. And besides floors, there are 100 extra uses for Johnson's wax in your home. May I urge you to buy some tomorrow. For the last few years, a certain citizen of Wistful Vista has been quietly collecting bottles. If you can collect bottles quietly. And here, loading his loot into the car to take it downtown and sell it, we find that collector of infernal residue and his patient spouse, Fibber McGee and Molly. Goodness, that's about all. Ain't got room for many more in that back seat. Hand me that last carton, will you, Molly? Thanks. You're welcome, dearie. Now you can do something for me. Sure, what? Look, mm -hmm. since 1938, you've carefully saved every bottle that came into the house. Yeah. And I never asked you why. I was never one to pry into your private life. If you wanted to collect bottles or buttons or, or butterflies or, or baboons, it was all right with me. But now I'd like to know what your idea was, and if you don't tell me, I think I'm going to scream. <laughs> Gee, I'm sorry, Molly. I thought all the time you knew I'd been saving those bottles for the refund. The refund? Sure. Instead of trotting down to the grocery every day with two ginger ale or root beer bottles and coming home with a dime, I thought I'd save them for a couple of years and really collect some dough. Catch on to it? Well, heavenly days. And how much do you expect to get for the lot, me bold financier? Well, averaging two cents per bottle, and I got exactly 537 bottles, I figure I'll get about 11 bucks. And that ain't hay. <laughs> and to think how many glass blowers have been wasting their breath when they might have been learning the piccolo. $11 for three years' work. What do you mean, three years' work? It ain't been work. What? It's been fun. What do you mean? It's been my hobby. It's, it's kept me off the streets. <laughs> Well, uh, where are you taking them? Grocery store. You want to go along? I wouldn't miss it for a 40-acre farm with Clark Gable as hired man. <laughs> let's go. Okay. Climb in. Well, where'll I sit? You got both seats full of bottles. Well, let's sit up in front there. You can make a kind of a little nest among the root beer and ginger ale bottles. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> they were soft drinks, so I ought to be quite comfortable. <laughs> now, don't, don't, don't bust any of them. I, I got a lot of time and money in this stuff. You got a lot of water in them, too. Something's dripping down my neck. No, that's just the rinse water. Somebody ain't quite dry yet. Some of them ain't. Well, here we go. Hey there, 
Johnny. Hello, daughter. Oh, hello there, Mr. Oldtimer. If you're going downtown, would you mind if I rode as far as... Hey, what you doing, Johnny? Bootlegging? <laughs> no, I ain't bootlegging. I'm taking these bottles back for a refund. That so? Yep. From the looks of the bottles, you must have threw quite a party, kid. <laughs> Why didn't you invite me? I'm great at parties. Do card tricks, impersonations, and I can take my vest off without removing my coat. Well, that's very interesting, Mr. Oldtimer, but we didn't give a party. I've been saving these bottles for three years, Oldtimer. What for, Johnny? Well, it's just a hobby with you, Mr. Oldtimer. Haven't you got a hobby? I got two hobbies, daughter. I'm a string saver, and I never step on cracks in the sidewalk. <laughs> well, every man to his taste, Oldtimer. I collect bottles, so you collect string. And I've got a blue serge coat that collects lint. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Snooky. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> Tell fella. Hey, he says. Did you hear this, Fibber McGee and Molly on the Lux Radio Theater last night? Well, what'd the other fella say? Nothing, Johnny. He just sneered. <laughs> well, I guess you ain't got room enough for me to ride with you, Johnny. I'll walk down to the corner and wait for a streetcar. Why, the streetcars don't go past that corner, Mr. Oldtimer. That's why I like to wait there, daughter. It's quiet. <laughs> now, what's the matter with this thing? Started off all right this morning. Dad wrapped the desk. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. Now, don't bother me now on account of... Hey, I'm... where'd you get all the bottles, mister? Criminy, uh... is that ever a snag of them, though? Hey, 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 watch your language there, sis. I got my wife with me. <laughs> hey, what you gonna do with all the bottles? I'm gonna hmm? take them back to the store for a rebate. Hmm? I says I'm returning them for a rebate. Rebate. Don't you know what a rebate is? Sure I do, I bet you. Uh -huh. It's when you put another worm on the hook. <laughs> but gee, mister, you can't catch enough fish to fill all those bottles. That rat sis, I ain't going fishing. Don't you like to fish? Sure I like to fish, but... So do I, mister. Can I go with you? Uh... Where? Fishing. Look, sis, get this through that little sunbonnet full of sawdust, will you? I ain't going fishing. I know it. Well? Why? Because in the first place, I ain't got time, and in the second place, the season ain't open, and in the third place, I don't want to. And in the fourth, fifth, and sixth places, I got to take these bottles back. What for? For a rebate. Well, I guess this is where I came in, and my mama doesn't like to have me stay through two shows. So long, mister. <laughs>
get them brakes fixed. Well, come on, Molly. Here's the grocery store. All right, dearie. And believe me, it'll be a relief to get up off these things. <laughs> well, so come why? Well, there were three mustard bottles leering at me like I was a piece of corned beef. Now, well, let's see. I'll take a few samples in first. Now, let me see. One ginger ale, one ketchup, one grape juice, one root beer, one horseradish. That ought to give them an idea. Yeah, it'd give me one if I was them, but I hope they don't think of it. <laughs> well, good luck to you, dearie. Thanks. I'll be back in just a minute, and you can help me carry in the rest of the... Whoa! <coughs> Dad, rat it, bud. Why don't you look where... Oh, hi, Nick. Well, for scream's sakes, Fisher, excuse me for being such a big clumsy. I guess my feet are all thumbs. Oh, don't... <laughs> don't worry about the bottles you broke, Mr. DePopolis. They were just a handful of empty. Oh, is that so? I'd have got at least 11 cents refund on them bottles. You gonna pay me for them, Nick? Smartly. How much? Well, I think he said 11 cents, Mr. DePopolis. Oh, sure. Well, here's two bits apiece, Fisher. Oh, I'm sorry, Nick. I can't make change. Well, take the quarter, McGee, and I'll give Mr. DePopolis three more bottles. Here, Mr. DePopolis, here's your change. Oh, thank you. <laughs> hey. <laughs> this is being a lot of fun, Cupid. Here's two dollars. Give me some more hey, and I'll hey, take hey, them off hey, the Cut that out. Do you think I want to get pinched for all this broken glass all over the sidewalk? Lay off, DePopolis. Huckley duckly, Fisher. And look, Mrs. DePopolis is telling me to ask you if you are caring to stop at our house some nights this week for a game of compact bridge, don't do it because she hates bridge. So long, Fisher. So long, Cupid. Bye, Mrs. DePopolis. Now, McGee, don't step in any of that broken glass. I already did. Oh, dear, let me see it. Maybe yeah. I can... It's all right. I stepped in some iodine, too. That's funny. That got a big laugh last week. Oh, well. Well, come on, Molly. Hold the door open for me. All right. Hi, Mr. Sale. Can you... I'll be with you in just a minute, Mr. McGee. I'm waiting on a customer. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else, Mr. Wilcox? Well, uh, let me think. Uh, oh, yes, I want a small box of curry powder. And uh, send all this stuff right over to my apartment, will you please? Oh, you who, Mr. Wilcox? Hi, Harlow. What was that stuff you just asked for? Well, hello, folks. I just asked for a small box of curry powder. Curry powder? Shucks, you never told us you had a horse, Harlow. <laughs> Why, I... I haven't. This is the powder I put in the sauce when I make curry. You? You mean you cook, Mr. Wilcox? Well, sure. Doesn't fibber? He does not. And I wouldn't think of letting him mess up my kitchen, either. Why, Molly, I'm ashamed of you. What? Why, there's no excuse for husbands not messing around in the kitchen these days if they want to. What if they do mess up the floor? Excuse us, folks, but this is the part of the thing that pays for the stuff. <laughs> what you mean, Harlow? Well, I mean about... <laughs> I mean about the linoleum being properly protected with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. The no-rubbing, no-buffing polish that shines as it dries. And what well-kept kitchen floor isn't in these modern times? Why, what if the old man does spill a gob of gravy or a splatter of hen fruit on the floor? Oh, Who cares? It can be wiped up in a jiffy with a damp cloth. Say, that'd be a great premium to give away with every can of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, wouldn't it? Wouldn't what? A jiffy. A pearl-handled jiffy to wipe the spots <laughs> off the floor. <laughs> that be swell? Oh, don't be silly. Oh, don't you be silly. Excuse me, Mr. McGee, you're next. Oh, thanks, Mr. Sale. Well, we'll see you later, Wilcox. And keep your curry up, Mr. Wilcox. <laughs> Yeah, stop in at our house sometimes. I'll fry you a nice batch of stupefied Crandall whims. <laughs> With racing. 
You you like them? I love them. If they're fried in deep fat. <laughs> now then, uh, what was it for you, Mr. McGee? I, I want a refund on these bottles. Now, let me see. You have a penny coming on the root beer, nickel on the ginger ale. What's this? Oh, that's a horseradish bottle. So it's all washed and sterilized. Sorry, no refund on those. Well, uh, how about the grape juice? We don't carry that brand anymore. Uh, the mustard? Nope. Just on the root beer and ginger ale. Here's ten cents. You can oh, take hey, one. wait. I got a car full of them outside, but Just wait till I run... Wait a minute, Mr. McGee. Huh? How many root beer and ginger ale bottles have you? Oh, I'd say about 170, which would come to about 575, yeah. but you... Can... Oh, no, you don't. Huh? You haven't bought a dozen bottles of that stuff from me in five years. Take them back where you got them. This is a grocery, not a junkyard. Now, you look here, Mr. Sale. If that's the way you're going to act, you're liable to lose our account. Mrs. McGee, I've been trying to lose your account ever since you opened it. <laughs> it's more butter than it's worth. Oh, yeah? Well, it'll be all right with us, too, Sire. Sure, that last spinach you sent us had so much sand in it, I had to eat it with a niblick. <laughs> but, Mr. Sale, why has our account been so much trouble? I'll show you. Look, here's your last order slip. Our delivery truck went clear across town to bring you one egg, two apples, four macaroons, and a box of toothpicks. Say, who ordered those toothpicks? <laughs> I did, Molly. What for? Well, I was working on my ship model, and I ran out of lumber. <laughs> well, okay, bud, if that's the way you feel about it, give me my dime for these two bottles. Oh. Now look what you've done. You've got broken glass all over my rhubarb. Oh, my. Get out of here, and don't come back. Oh, but look, i got a car full of bottles that I've been saving. I don't care if you've got a prairie schooner full of platinum. I don't want it. Go away! <laughs> Home? No. Where? Drugstore. Oh. <laughs> Furthermore, Mr. Kramer, if I'd ever suspected you wasn't going to make good on them bottles, I'd have never bought all my postage stamps in your drugstore. What'd he say? Shook his head. What'd you do? I shook my fist. What'd he do? Shook a shotgun. What'd you do? Shook. Sis, I got these bottles here a while back, and I'd like to get a refund. Sorry, you... sir. That was when we were under the NRA. No refunds now. Oh, but I want my dime. You can't have it. You've washed off the little blue eagle. <laughs> hey, bud, I got a few bottles. Sorry, I've taken the pledge. <laughs> I've been, I've been everywhere in town. Do you refund money on... On nothing! Beat it! Well? Yeah, I guess I'm a chump, Molly. It's no use. Shucks, I thought I had a swell idea collecting these bottles, but, well, I guess I, I flopped. Oh, now, now, don't take it to heart, dearie. Everybody sticks their neck out now and then. Yeah. That's why they have portholes on boats. 
Yeah, but shucks. Oh, oh, there you are, Mr. McGee. I've been looking all over Wistful Vista for you. Hi, Abby. Hello, Abigail. What was it you wanted? Well, someone told me that Mr. McGee had several hundred old bottles he wanted to sell, and I was so afraid he'd dispose of them before I found him. Well, there's no use in crying. What? What'd you say, Abby? She sounds like an angel in disguise, McGee. And one of the cleverest disguises I ever saw. You mean you want to buy these bottles, Huppy? Indeed I do, Miss McGee. How many have you? Why, why about 500. Oh, what the... splendid, splendid. Oh, what a lucky girl I am, really. 500 perfectly good bottles. Oh, oh uh, but I warn you, Miss McGee. I drive a hard bargain. Well. I'm offering you $50 for the entire lot. Heavenly days, $50. Well, 60 then. Oh, now, wait a minute, Uppy. That's ridiculous. Why, when I tell you how much I expected to get for these bottles, you... Well, $75, and that is my final offer. Sold to the lady in the prematurely gray fur coat. <laughs> Say, I don't quite... This is so sudden, I... Now, look, what do you want these bottles for, Uppy? Ah, uh, don't you wish you knew, you clever boy? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, you know the old thing. Ask me no questions, and I'll tell you no anyway. <laughs> now, here, Miss McGee, here's the $75. Oh, thanks. And you may dump those bottles in my backyard any time today. Oh. Pinch me, McGee. Ouch! Thank you. And thank you, Abigail. Oh, no, thank you. And now, to celebrate the deal, I insist on taking you to dinner at the 400 Club. What? Oh, come now. I shan't take no for an answer. Well, there's no danger of you getting it for an answer, Mrs. Uppington. <laughs> I should say not. I suddenly got an appetite that would make a steam shovel lower its bucket in shame. Fine <laughs> enough. Let's go. Oh, but where shall I sit, Mr. McGee? Here, I'll make room for you, Abigail. Oh, 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 oh what fun, really. <laughs> Ain't it, though? <laughs> well, here we go. And don't let the horseradish get smart with you, Abigail. <laughs> okay. The King's Men singing The Covered Wagon Rolled Right Along. Oh, the covered wagon rolled right along While the pioneers gave out a happy song Me and Pappy did the driving Mammy cooked and kept us thriving And the covered wagon rolled right along We left King Dougie on the 10th of May Daffy said, I'll get our pickles every day. Every day? Mammy, you just grease the skillet. If we need some food, I'll kill it. And the covered wagon rolled right along. Daffy's <laughs> pants were made from skins of buffalo. Poor buff. But when winter came and brought the ice and snow, cold and rough. Pappy's pants ran out on leather. Mammy prayed for milder weather, and the covered wagon rolled right along. Once a wildcat jumped at Mammy from the rear. Pappy winked an eye and said, now don't you fear. If he really tries to crowd her, we'll be having wildcat chowder, and the covered wagon rolled right along. Now at play and poker, Pappy won his fame. 
Once he got an Indian chief into a game. Ooh. Pappy wound up with four deuces and a squaw with six papooses and the covered wagon rolled right along. Pappy sold a mule and then went on a spree. And he said, at last I got my liberty. <laughs> Mammy said, cut out your bragging. And she hitched him to the wagon. And the prairie schooner rolled right along. Now at last old California came in view. And we realized the troubles we've been through. Me and Ma are lucky creatures. Pappy's making western features. And the covered wagon rolls and rolls right along. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a day. <laughs> you know, Molly, for a while there today, I almost begun to have doubts if I could sell them bottles. <laughs> hey, what on earth do you suppose Mrs. Uppington wants them for? I don't know, but I, you know, I kind of regret the leaving them go at 75 bucks. I wish I'd asked 100. Well, you know, it cost her almost that anyway. I saw the bill she signed for dinner at the 400 Club. Yeah? You know how much? No. $22. $22? Oh, that couldn't be just for that one meal for the three of us. She must be bored in there by the week. <laughs> no, sir, it was nearly $7 a piece. <clears throat> Say, that was a mighty nice di dinner, too, wasn't it? I thought you said it wasn't so hot. Well, that was before I knew it cost seven bucks. <laughs> and I still say, though, that that was the worst cider I ever drunk. You do? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't cider. That was champagne. <laughs> it was? I sure. thought the waiter said his mother made it. No, he did not. He said it was Mom's. <laughs> Who's that? Search me. Better get that $75 out of sight. Come in. Well, hello there, folks. How's every little thing? Why, just wonderful, Mr. Gildersleeve. Ah, better than they've been for a long time, Gildy, old man. Uh, really? Why, certainly. Well, well, that, that's fine, McGee. I, uh, I just stopped in, McGee, to ask you if you could, uh, get into one of my suits. Why, we could both get into one of your suits. <laughs> Why should we? Why, sure, he's got clothes of his own. Yes, yes, I know, but I thought that, well, I, uh, the, how you fix the groceries, McGee. Groceries? Hey, what is this? Wait a minute. First you offer me your old clothes, then you offer us food. That ratted Gildersleeve, if you think for one no, minute... No, no, would... Take it easy, little chum. Take it easy. <laughs> it's no disgrace to be poor. Oh, I'll say it isn't. What are you driving at anyway, you big baboon? <laughs> <laughs> now, now, look here, little pal. Why don't you let me make you a small loan? Sort of ties you over until... That then... ratted Gildersleeve, you cut that out. I don't want any money, and I don't want any clothes, and I don't want any groceries. Well, shucks, anybody think we didn't know where the next meal was coming from? Well, do you? <laughs> What's that? Now, Mrs. McGee, maybe I can talk sensibly with you. I know all about it. Mrs. Uppington told me. She told you what, Gildersleeve? About how she got word that you had your car full of junk and trying to sell it, McGee. <laughs> Imagine Pipper McGee, my pal, my neighbor, reduced to selling old bottles. 
Why didn't you let somebody know, McGee? We'd all been glad to help you. Well, of all the... Well, I'll be... A... It's all right, chum. We won't say a word about this outside. But when Mrs. Uppington told me she felt so sorry for you that she took you in and bought you a warm meal, <laughs> then paid you $75 for a useless ton of old bottles, well, that got me, McGee. Oh, so that's why she... Oh! That does it. That absolutely does it. Molly, never let me see another bottle in this house as long as I live. There's only one bottle left in the house, dearie. Well, where is it? Upstairs. Well, go get it and throw it away. Impossible. Why? Uncle Dennis won't let go of it. <laughs> Fibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. When that young son of yours goes tromping across your clean kitchen floor in his wet, muddy shoes, do you scold him and then feel sorry about it afterward? Well, it's a natural thing to do. But isn't it better to protect your floors with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat and not have to worry about it at all? Glow coat is the easy, modern way to keep linoleum floors clean and sparkling with a minimum of work. All you do is apply and let dry. Without any rubbing or buffing, your floors are protected with a gleaming, long-lasting polish. Glow coat keeps the colors of linoleum looking like new. Makes the linoleum itself last much longer. So you see, Glow Coat saves twice. Saves you tiresome work and saves your linoleum. In millions of homes, women swear by Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat. Be sure to buy a can tomorrow. Oh, yes, remember, you save money on the larger sizes. You know, Molly, what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to buy Gildersleeve a big, expensive present just because he tried to be so nice to us. Yeah. Mrs. Uppington was nice, too, McGee. Yeah. Though she didn't have to run and tell Mr. Gildersleeve about it. No, but I certainly give her a lot of credit. You're going to pay the money right back, aren't you? No. For that, she's got to give me a lot of credit. Good night. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Here's a special message to all high school boys. Fellow classmen, if your folks are like mine and say you should have some real work to do around the house, well, here's a tip. Ask for the job of cleaning and waxing the car. There's nothing to it. Use Johnson's Carnu, C-A-R-N-U. It cleans and wax polishes in one simple operation. And if you're any good at all, you'll be finished in about an hour. Don't forget the name, Johnson's Carnew. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Pick up a copy of The Redemption of Kings by Mark Castleberry. In the land of Connaught, the Gale people face divine punishment for straying from their faith in the Lord of Light, while King Nazar of Ash seeks to conquer and enslave them. Four young Gale men, including Aaron, remain faithful despite their enslavement, and Aaron interprets a prophetic dream for the king. King Nazar mandates the worship of a golden statue of himself, leading to defiance by Gale gardeners who miraculously survive execution. Aaron's interpretation of another dream prompts the king to consider a religious shift, causing unrest. King Nazar mysteriously disappears, but upon his return, 
he decrees the worship of the god of light and the destruction of other idols. Rena, the king's concubine, opposes these changes and conspires with her son, Namor, to restore old traditions. This leads to a tyrannical reign with Rena's involvement in dark witchery and hidden agendas. Check out The Redemption of Kings, at your local online bookstore. Hollywood, we present the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. <laughs> Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis are brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. For the first time, you'll get the cigarette that's much milder, with the added protection of no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And by Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce our Master of Ceremonies, Dean Martin. Hi, folks, and thank you. Well, spread out, everybody. Here comes another segment of the old Martin and Lewis show. I note that Jerry isn't around right now, and if this state of affairs will hold for a few minutes, we might find time for a fast chorus of Bye-Bye Blackbird. Pack up all of my cares and my woes, well, here I go, singing low, bye-bye Blackbird. Where somebody waits for me, sugar sweet, honey, so is she. Bye, bye, my blackbird. No one here can love or understand me. All the hard luck stories, they all hand me. So make a good, honey, life the life. I'm coming home late tonight Blackbird, bye-bye Oh, pack up all of my cares and the woes Well, here I go, singing low Bye-bye, my blackbird Where somebody waits for me Sugar sweet, honey, so is she bye by my blackbird No one here can love or understand me All the hard luck stories They all hand me So make the bed, honey, to light to light I'm coming home late tonight Blackbird Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great Pack pleasure. Pack all your birds and wheels, holy me. I told you a thousand times not to come out this way. Why? Why? Why must you behave yourself in this loud, vulgar manner? What have you got to say for yourself? 
Don't be angry, Bobby. <laughs> oh, how can I help being angry? Everything is peaceful, and then you come out screaming in that voice that only a mother could love. Dean, she doesn't like it either. Oh, <laughs> well, let's face it, Jerry. I might as well be frank. All righty, I'll be Alfred. Want to go bowling, Frank? <laughs> Look, when I said I might as well be frank, I didn't mean I might as well be frank. Why, is Alfred a better bowler? <laughs> Jerry? Jerry, this is no joke. I'm serious. You're serious? You mean you stop being Italian? <laughs> Now, this stupidity must run in your family. I, it's got to run. Are other members of your family okay? Well, we are having a little trouble with Uncle Fred. Last night, he jumped out of a third-floor window. Well, was he in his right mind? Right mind, wrong floor. Oh. <laughs> Jerry, you know, I'm convinced. You have no sense at all. You don't even know when you're being insulted. Oh, yes, I do, Dean Martin. And I'm getting pretty tired of it, too, too, too. One of these days, I'm going to blow my top. With your top, what have you got to lose? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like it. And another thing, I just talked to our agent, and he told me that 60-40 isn't an even split. Now, Jay, are you going to believe strangers, or are you going to believe your partner? <laughs> don't try to talk me out of it, Dean Martin. I don't know from that 60-40. Let's get back to that 70-30. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't worry about money. Don't forget, you can't take it with you. Why not? I'm only going as far as the bank. <laughs> I've never met anyone so mercenary. Yeah, well, I... You finally did it. You swore at me. <laughs> okay, Hilda. Let's get ready for our first guest. Do you know who our first guest is? Yep. Who? Me? Who? <laughs> you you're our first guest, and uh, pray tell, what are you going to do? Well, you know, sir, it's been quite some time since I've sang a song, sir. Well, uh... well you know, Dean, how you're always singing romantic songs about the moon and stuff. Well, I'm going to sing one of those kind of songs, too. Well, all righty. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Lewis sings his new recording written by Hellborn and Danny Shapiro entitled North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon. Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon. Keep shining on Oklahoma, Minnesota, Arkansas, and Georgia in June. It's plain to see you're the moon for me. I'm crazy about your panorama. For when you're shining on Tennessee, you overlap a little on Alabama, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon. I miss you when I'm in Kentucky and the sun is shining brightly at noon. I know you're busy, but if you have a little moment that's free, throw a little glow on the one who waits for me. Oh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon. Georgia in June. It's plain to see you're the moon for me. I'm crazy about your 
crazy about your panorama. For when you're shining on Tennessee, you overlap a little on Alabama. North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon. I miss you. Oh, when I'm in Kentucky and the sun is shining brightly at noon. I know you're busy, but if you have a little moment that's free, throw a little glow on the one who waits for me. North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, and Indiana Moon, but I'm from I'm sure he's in good form to join us all as we sound off Chesterfield. We've traveled the country far and wide from the Atlantic to the Pacific side. From north to where they say you all, more and more you hear this call. Chesterfield. 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 Milder there, much milder, milder Chesterfield. That's right. Chesterfields are selling more from Denver to Miami Shore, from Old St. Louis to Sandy Hook. If you don't smoke them, you're a schnook. Protect your smoking fun. That's right. No aftertaste when you're done. That's right. Sound up. A Chesterfield. Sound up. A Chesterfield. No unpleasant aftertaste in Chesterfield. That's right. Well, folks, pretty soon you'll be hearing us talk about Chesterfield sales increasing in your hometown, just as they are increasing fast in Indianapolis, Portland, Maine, Atlanta, and Georgia, and also all over the country. The reasons for this are simple. Chesterfields are much milder and give you the added protection of no unpleasant aftertaste. The way to prove that is to smoke them. Sound off for Chesterfields and do it today. Well, long about eight years ago, I was sitting with a young lady in a roadside cafe when the Nickelodeon at our elbow lit up for a tender tune. As a hopeful young singer, I don't mind saying that I envied the popular vocalist on the record that we were listening to. I'd sure have been happy to know then that I'd be singing the same song for you now. Close to you I will always stand close to you, though you're far away. You'll always be near, as though you were here by my side, no matter where. In my dreams I'll find you there close to me Sharing your caress Can't you see You're my happiness Wherever you go 
Thank you very much. Well, this is a good time for me to roll out the red carpet for our special guest while you listen to Jimmy Wallington. Thank you, Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, if you suffer from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia, you should discover what many thousands have known for years, that Anison brings incredibly fast, effective relief. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Probably at some time you have received an envelope containing Anison tablets from your physician or dentist. Thousands of people have been introduced to Anison this way. Try Anison yourself the next time you suffer from the pains of a headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. You'll be delighted at how quickly relief can come. Anison is spelled A-N-A-C-I-N. Your druggist has Anison in handy boxes of 12 and 30 tablets and economical family-sized bottles of 50 and 100 for your medicine cabinet. Ask for Anison today. And now, ladies and gentlemen, comes time to introduce our guest, one of the most exciting young stars to light up the Hollywood sky in many, many moons. She's one of our most glamorous personalities and a very talented actress, Miss Rhonda Fleming, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, folks. Hi, Dean. Well, Rhonda, it's wonderful having you on the show tonight, and I've just got to tell you how wonderful you look. Honest, you're beautiful. Positively ravishing. Well, thank you, Dean. It certainly is nice of you to read that. <laughs> Well, seriously, Rhonda, just wait till Jerry sees you. Oh, well, I hope he... Hey, Dean, have you seen... Well, look who's here. Hiya, Herman. <laughs> Herman? Jerry, this is Miss Fleming. Yeah, sure, Miss Fleming. What's the matter, Herm? You on a lamb? <laughs> Jerry, are you crazy? Look at that luscious hair. Those lovely white shoulders, that gorgeous figure, those deep blue eyes. How could this be Herman? You're right, Dean. Herman had brown eyes. Brown eyes. <laughs> Jerry, did your mother ever drop you on your head when you were a baby? No, mother was too busy. Dad had to do it. <laughs> Jerry, this is, this, is, this is no way to behave in front of a beautiful star like Miss Fleming. Gosh, Dean, this, this boy isn't the least bit subtle, is he? Wait a second. The word is subtle. <laughs> no, it's not. It's subtle. You don't pronounce the B. Listen, baby, for the money we pay these writers, I want every letter pronounced. <laughs> Jerry, you 
seen Rhonda in a lot of films, remember? Look at that rust-colored hair. Yeah, how about that? Somebody leave out in the rain, sister? <laughs> What's the matter, Jerry? Don't you like my hair? Honey, I'd like your hair even if you didn't have any. <laughs> Thought. What's so horrible? I used to go with a bald-headed girl. Really? Oh, sure. I went with this bald-headed girl, all right. I remember how I used to sit and run my hand through her scalp. <laughs> Did you actually take her to, to dances and parties? Uh, only to masquerade. She used to go as a melon. You'll have to excuse him, Rhonda. You see, no one ever troubled to tell him the facts of life. Here now. No one had to tell me the facts of life. You want to hear them? Okay. These are the facts. Big people have children. There are two kinds of children, babies and puppies. If the children are babies, the people are people. If the children are puppies, the people are dogs. Dean, you should have a talk with this boy. Really, why, why he should be taken to task. Oh, goody, is that anywhere near Hoboken? Oh, Jack. <laughs> I love Hoboken. As a matter of fact, I know the cutest little man there. He's an organ grinder. Strange that you should say that. It's so strange, Rhonda. It is strange. It just happens that our play tonight... <laughs> our play tonight is about an organ grinder. No. Yes, Gee, Rhonda. I love playing about organ grinders. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, tonight our stars pay tribute to that unsung hero of the music field, the organ grinder. The little man who wanders through the neighborhood spreading music and good cheer. Tonight's tender little scene takes place in the teeming streets of New York. And there we find our principal characters. My name is Giuseppe. Every day I walk down the street with my nice music and Sam, my little monkey. My, <laughs> my name is Maria. Every day I look out my window and watch Giuseppe walk down the street with his music. And Sam, his little monkey. My name is Sam. <laughs> I'm the little monkey. Oh, you people to laugh at monkeys, don't forget. You descended from us. Uh... Boy, do I hate working for that Giuseppe. I do all the work, he gets all the big money. Uh-oh, here we go again. And I think I had a chance to go with Guy Lombardo. Hey, uh, come on, Sam. We'll go down to the street and we'll play the music, huh? Music sounds more like a Sicilian good humor truck. <laughs> hey, Ma, take a look at this beautiful girl in the window. She's so pretty. I wish she didn't live way up on the third floor. Oh, organ grinder, will you send your monkey upstairs, please? My shoes, my shoes, lady. I'm sending him right up. My shoe. <laughs> My shoe, it's a my shoe. I get nosebleeds. He says, it's my shoe. Hey, listen to me, Sam. I don't want to know monkey business. Yeah, so go team up with a squirrel. Why don't you both come up? Hmm? I'll give you some pasta for zoo with matzo ball. <laughs> wow, is this kid confused? <laughs> Me. Come on, Sam. I'll carry you up to the tight flow. Well, how do you like that? Here we are over there. Here's the fourth floor. 
that sound man overdoing it a bit? <laughs> Come in. Hey, hello, lady. My name is Giuseppe. Every day I walk down the street with my nice music and a Sam and my little monkey. My, my name is Maria. Every day I look out my window and I watch Giuseppe walk down the street with his music and Sam, his little monkey. My name is Sam. <laughs> and I'm wondering what page you cats are on now. <laughs> My goodness, what an adorable little monkey. Hey, Sam, this is a girl, she's crazy on you. Yeah? Well, I'll be a human's uncle. <laughs> no, you'll be a monkey's uncle. No, you'll be a monkey's uncle. <laughs> you know, Giuseppe, your monkey looks like Jerry Lewis. Please, Maria, I don't like when you insulted my monkey. <laughs> And a monkey, no like when you insult Jerry Lewis. Giuseppe, I must be crazy, but is that Sam talking? Well, it ain't Teddy Snowcrop. <laughs> Giuseppe, a talking monkey. Why, you can make a fortune. No. You can put him on television. No. Well, you can put him in the movies. No. But he's marvelous. May I pick him up and hold him? If he says no this time, I'll bite his nose off. <laughs> You sit in my lap. My nice, soft fur. Easy, lady. I've just been hollering to ride. <laughs> Listen, Sam Cat, if you were smart... If you say one more nasty thing to Sam, well, you'll have to leave. Now you're talking, baby. How's about a kiss? But I'd never kissed a monkey before. Ah, come on. It's no different than kissing a gopher. <laughs> Sam, you shouldn't be messing around with the girls. Why even? Why you shouldn't even look there? Why think a kid? Why do you torture yourself this way? Why? 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 Don't just stand with egg on your face. Why? I like it. I like it. Tell me, Giuseppe, uh, how much money do you make with Sam? Well, I don't rightly know. Sam is a still so. Uh, he steals some of my pennies. I don't keep a counter. Giuseppe. Yeah. You accuse me of stealing pennies. You think that I, Sam the monkey, would stoop to such a thing? And after all the years you've been together with me, I'd not Oh, shame on you, Giuseppe, accusing Sam of stealing your pennies. Boy, I'd like to conk him with a people wrench. <laughs> Okay, smart guy, we see. I'm going to turn you upside down. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Giuseppe. I only stole two pennies. Honest, two pennies. Here we go. I turn you upside down. <laughs> now, this is what you call two pennies. Well, I did make a few investments. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Oh, no, you get out of here. <laughs> As we organized organ grinders step down the street to pick up the pennies, we leave this territory to Jimmy Wallington. Thank you, Dean. And now here's something of interest to everybody. For breathless moments, for your breathless moments... Chew dentine, the gum with... <gasps> breath. 
breathtaking flavor. Dentine tastes so good. Dentine freshens your breath. Dentine helps keep your teeth sparkling clean and white. Dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Before you go out and always after eating, drinking, smoking, refresh your breath with dentine. You'll love dentine chewing gum. For dentine has a wonderful, tingling, nippy flavor that lingers on and on. It's delicious. And remember, dentine helps keep your teeth white, too. Keep dentine handy. You'll enjoy refreshing your breath when you chew dentine. So, for breathless moments, for your breathless moments, chew dentine, the gum with <gasps> breathtaking flavor. Well, Jerry and I do a lot of arguing on this program, but it's really all in fun. Way down deep, we're very fond of each other. We've been together for five and a half years now, and we're going to try real hard to make it an even hundred. Lots of people have asked how we got together in the first place. It's a real hard thing to explain because we sort of came to each other out of nowhere and stuck together ever since, which is probably why I've always loved this next number, Out of Nowhere. Came to me from out of nowhere. You took my heart and found a tree. Wonderful dreams, wonderful schemes from nowhere. Made ever sweet as a flower to me. If you should go back to your nowhere, leave me with a man. I'll always wait for your return out of nowhere, hoping you'll bring your love to me. Yeah, it gets better all the time, Thanks. better and terrific. And all right, all right, I know, I know, I know. My singing's getting better and better. 
What a ham! <laughs> Excuse me, fellas, but, well, this looks like it should be time for good night. Gee, Rhonda, I had hopes of taking you out tonight. Oh, but, Jerry, I, I don't really know you. Yeah, that's why I had hopes. <laughs> Some other time, Jerry. Good night, boys. Good night, Rhonda. Good night, Rhonda, darling, and thanks for being so nice. Folks, before we sign off, I'd like to remind you once again of the campaign to find a cure for muscular dystrophy, the disease that strikes young and old alike and always ends in death. The campaign needs your support. Without your contributions, the research cannot continue and the cure may never be found. Let's all pitch in and see that this doesn't happen. Mail your contributions to MDA, 21 East 40th Street, New York City, New York. That's MDA, 21 East 40th Street, New York, New York. Thank you. Well, folks, until next week, this is Dean Martin. And Jerry Lewis reminding you that we appear on radio through the courtesy of Hal Wallace Productions, producers of our current picture, Sailor Beware. Good Good night, night, everybody. See ya. From Hollywood, you have just heard transcribed the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis Show. Written by Ed Simmons and Norman Lear. Produced and directed by Dick Back, with music under the direction of Dick Stabile. Brought to you by Chesterfield. Sound off for Chesterfield. For the first time, you'll get the cigarette that's much milder, with the added protection of no unpleasant aftertaste. By Anison, for fast relief from pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia. By Dentine, the gum with breathtaking flavor. And by Beeman's Pepsin, the gum that's great to chew and good for your digestion, too. Rhonda Fleming can currently be seen co-starring with Ronald Reagan in Paramount's Technicolor picture, Hong Kong. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Mm-hmm.